What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, another Thursday. I'm here with my resident homies as usual, Casey, Joel, and Joseph. We brought on an old Santa Cruz homie. Uh, you know, we got a little bit of history, some stories to tell, and obviously, uh, we're bringing him on because of his fucking band too. But Joe Lester from the infamous Intro Knot. What's going on, dude? What's up, y'all? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you very much for fucking yeah. yeah. Like we were saying right before, thanks for the for coming on and 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 uh, sharing some some time with us and giving us some uh, stories and shit. You know, you were just about to get into the high school thing, and that's basically what we do around here. Is when we have somebody on, we kind of want to just go right back to the beginning with them, like when this shit started getting real for you, when you picked up your instrument, all that kind of shit. Like when did music become something? very important to Joe Lester. Okay. All right. That's a good question. I mean, I'm sure like a lot of people, just like all, all of you, all of us, you know, we probably all got our first like hit off the music pipe when we were real little, you know, I mean, I could not have been older than like third grade or something before I started to really have strong opinions about the records that my parents would play. Like, the ones that I fucking loved and the ones that I hated. But even, you know, at whatever age that is, you know, still one digit age, I was knowing that I loved certain bands. And, you know, when I was when I was in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I was like all about classic rock. I bet that's probably true for like a lot of yep. us too. But what was funny for me was that I remember being sort of like against heavy metal i remember having like a bad opinion of it when i was a kid like oh that's like bonehead music or something you know i just i just didn't know you know what i mean like yeah. we all probably had to get many heavy music cherries popped along the way but i think it was you know i was like in middle school when i started to care about modern music that was a change that i was like paying attention to what was like actually on the radio currently and stuff um the first show that I went to of my own volition, instead of being like dragged to by my parents or something, was the Downward Spiral Tour. I was in seventh grade, I think, with like four of my little buddies and somebody's mom and dad brought us, you know? <laughs> but that was certainly like an eyeful for my little 13 year old music brain to like take in a show of that that proportion. That was, that was pretty meaningful. Um, and then like i got into punk pretty quick after a brief like alternative rock phase mm -hmm. and i was super into punk and like in my neighborhood i knew lots of like local kids who were like punks and we would all skate together and smoke weed in back alleys together and stuff what year was that if you don't mind me asking that was like um i i graduated in 2000 from high school okay so like middle school was like 94 and 5 i guess mm -hmm. right? yeah. um and, uh, you know, I knew all these local dudes and all these punks and stuff. And there were always like the tech, the token Heshers, right? Mm -hmm. And we were all kind of like be laughing like, oh, fucking what's his name and his fucking Sam Hain shirt or whatever, you know. But I was real into punk. I loved Minor Threat. I thought that was like the fastest, just meanest shit I had ever heard. And uh, there was a record store near my house. I lived kind of near Venice Beach in LA. That's where I grew up as a kid. 
And there was a local record store that I used to skate to every day and just go hang out in there. And they kind of like took me under their wing and they had like the record player and the CD player set up so that you could listen to like anything you wanted that was used. So I used to just go in there and like just listen to shit because I had seen the cover and throw it on and be like, oh, this sucks. But at least now I know, you know, and just kind of like getting a, a an education on like classic vinyls and stuff. But at some point, I think I like almost ironically was like checking out Slayer because I knew that it was such textbook metal and I had like preconceived notions about metal as a punk. But it was Undisputed Attitude was the record. And so be like a perfect intro album for you to Slayer. Yeah, yes, so. especially because I was like specifically a band of a fan of bands like uh, Minor Threat and other bands on that exact mm -hmm. fucking record. Don't they? I, they cover uh, a couple of songs by the same band too. There's like three. they do multiple songs by one or more bands on that. That There's record. three Minor Threat songs on there. They're yeah. so fucking short. Each song, like the songs were already barely like two minutes. And when Slayer does them, they're like only a minute. You know? <laughs> yep. And that really kind of like peeled my fucking face off a little mm -hmm. bit, kind of exposed me. I remember pretty quickly after that, um, I bought Chaos AD and nice. that was, that was huge for me. Yeah. I also, I think I'm remembering that like, that couldn't have been that long before I got my, my driver's license. Cause that first summer of having a car was like chaos ADs bill up in that bitch. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that was really like my introduction into like true, like heavy music. And then, you know, I feel like living in LA proper was a real gift for seeing shows because are, are all you guys from Santa Cruz area natively? Um, no, I'm actually Maybe. right outside of San Francisco okay. um, in a town called Pacifica, you know, okay. 20 mm -hmm. minutes south of it down Highway 1. Cool. Um, I, I think I know it. Yeah. Yeah. And then Casey, you're from San Diego originally. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Joel, you guys might have had a little better luck with like shows being close enough to go see back when mm -hmm. you were in high school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like Santa Cruz has always, I mean, I went there, I was only a banana slug. I'm no true local, you know, but even during the four years that I was there, I was like, bro, you got to go to the fucking pound to see any kind of metal. Like you got to yeah. drive to Oakland, you know, boom. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's definitely an adventure to go see anything. It's a, it's a planned adventure. Exactly. Like yep. So that was something that I don't know if, if we were taking it. I don't think we were taking it for granted because we used to go see all the death metal and black metal package shows like just in 11th and 12th grade those were the only two years that i had a driver's license and i was like not big into drinking so i would always be like the designated driver for my, my whole squad but hollywood you know like the classic hollywood venues they mm -hmm. would have a lot of the legendary bands my first two death metal shows were um formulas Fatal to the Flesh tour. Nice. And uh, Deicide, what was that one? The With the praying Jesus, and his hands are floating. Oh, oh fuck. Serpents it's, of the Light. Yeah. 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 Those, those were like two of my first death metal tours that, you know, that it felt like a huge venue back then, but like the whiskey's like intimate, you know? Yeah. 
totally that you gotta have an intimate venue close to really get embedded you know well, the thing like, about the whiskey, though, is a lot of people, you know, you think about the whiskey and you see a bunch of footage on the whiskey and you've, you've never been there. When you actually get there, you're like, this is not like the Motley Crue sold out humongous like stadium show I was expecting. And like you're saying, it's very like compact and intimate, like it probably holds what, like 300, 400 people. Yeah, I mean, 500 tops with like yeah, yeah. balcony all filled up, you know, totally. Yep. But it really is pretty fucking modest considering like the history of it all. Um, and I mean, if you guys have played any shows there in the past 10 years, you know that like they, they turned from being like legit venues into these like pay to play graveyards. Like you could tell when you worked there that it was like an opening band farm and like the shows were not tight. And like, so they became not where you want to play. I have been on that circuit and paid that fucking money. It sucks. <laughs> uh, I joined a band just to start, you know, uh, I joined a band and they had whiskey shows lined up and then they asked me to pitch in and I didn't realize that they wanted me to pitch in for the shows they'd already booked. I was a little, a little salty about that, but uh, I took it in stride and it's all good. So whatever. But, yeah, I know it's, it's a fucking dude. They charge bands like 800 or a thousand dollars for a 30 minute set. It's crazy. And it, it's been that way for like a long time like they've been cashing in on like the legendary epic of the yeah. 80s sunset strip but ever since like all these you know just guys with fucking stars in their eyes moved to la to to make it and then just get fleeced by these like club owners yeah but i will say that one good piece of news was like maybe like starting like five or six years ago um the Roxy got bought out, I guess, by like Golden Voice, but they really changed it up and they had like new equipment and they had like a sharp crew in there the last couple times that I was there. Like we really felt the difference and appreciated it. Fuck yeah. Nice. So yeah, that's uh so that's basically that was your scene, was the LA scene. You got to see all the shows there. You were into death metal, what the twelfth, third or twelfth grade, you said? Eleventh, twelfth no, grade. Mean, probably starting around like yeah like 10th grade you know and then i got my driver's license the summer before 11th grade so that's when i started going to every show when i could when did you pick up the when did you pick up the bass when yeah i was just about playing. to ask that were you playing yeah. during all this or A absolutely in fact um i got my f i knew i wanted to play bass i even knew bass for some reason i just felt it when i was like 12 i already knew it and so I told my parents and on my 13th birthday, they got me like the quintessential Squire starter, you know, it was yep. a Squire P black with, one? Like, little, little crate practice amp. What's that? The black one? No, it was, it was off white with a white pick guard. Oh, okay. Nice. I had the black one. <laughs> yeah. Bound, it's bound to be one of just like two or three choices, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's basically how i got started too it was like the the squire fucking guitar pack with the little shitty amp and it wasn't like <laughs> i couldn't make like the noises i wanted to make or whatever to start off so i kind of like shelved it for a little while because i was like i'm gonna save up for a summer for like a like the fucking corn guitar dude i'm gonna get <laughs> i'm gonna get the uh the the head guitar the, uh, the, the thousand oh, yeah you started guitar. with guitar huh sorry yeah <laughs> And like, and then I started once I actually like worked for a summer and, and it wasn't like a gift and I actually did a yeah, full summer to purchase something. I was like, all right, well, it's time to put the fucking time in now because now it's on my dime. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when did you start? So you picked it up, you said 14, how old were you? It was my, it was my 13th birthday when I got my first ax and I was, I was it such an instinctive lefty that I knew that I was, I had to play lefty already. Like I knew it. So that was my first lefty that, that I could play on. And pretty quick, like I was jamming with friends really badly and playing shit all out of tune. We didn't even understand. I remember I knew that you had to tune each string to the fifth fret of the next one. Mm-hmm. But I did not realize there was some absolute value that they all had to correspond to. <laughs> so it was just like, I'm tuned to me. Like, you know, why is it sound bad? Like, um, <laughs> but, you know, we would just play like whatever. And then this is, you know, pretty like legit metal stuff is that one of my childhood best friends and still like my absolute role dog is Mike Lerner from Behold the Arctopus. You guys fuck oh, yeah. with that? Oh, fuck oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. So Mike and I, his locker was under mine in like seventh grade, which is the year that no one knows anyone yet. You're all brand new. And he was wearing a Guns N' Roses shirt that had like a naked chick on it. And I didn't like Guns N' Roses, but I still was like, cool shirt. Like, you know, but so me and Dave Timnick from Intronaut, he was brand new to playing music that same summer. And he did not have access to a drum kit but someone had showed him how to play. So he was like, I'm gonna do drums. And Mike, his parents were like hella fostering his talent already at that young age, because they had had him doing like classical piano recitals from the age of fucking seven. I mean, he's like a real Uh, virtuoso. Yeah, you can tell too. You can tell, right? So Mm -hmm. even when we were 13 years old, there was a room and his dad is also a blues guitarist too. So they had like a full blown music room with like amps, drums, all of it. And we would go there every single Saturday. And Mike just like whipped me and Tim Nick into his ideal rhythm section for like a 13 year old shredder. But he would just teach us everything from like Ozzy to fucking, you know, Sabbath, just Metallica, just all these different things that he wanted to wail over. And, you know, he really whipped us into shape in basically just like a uh, year, I'd say. That's super cool, dude. Yeah, I don't know how long I would have just been like fucking around, you know, lost in the woods, all out of tune, like with tablatures or something. But Mike really like got me on track quick. So, so. did Behold start in L.A.? No. Um, yeah, I wasn't thinking that they were originally LA band. No, they're a New York band. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, I was going to say Colin's out there, right? So Exactly. And Mike was until just a few years ago, but Mike grew up in LA with me. He went to NYU where he majored in composition. That's how he met Colin. They were both composition majors. Wow. And they started the band there in New York. And Mike like stayed in New York for like at least a decade after he graduated, but he moved back recently. You ever fucked with a war guitar? You know, like I wanted to is very inspired by them, but as a lefty, again, that adds such another wrinkle to like finding, purchasing all that, you know? Yeah, it's already a super like custom instrument in its own already. It's already. A fucking lefty, it's fucking... It's- Exactly. So there literally was like one day in my 20s when I was like 
hovering over the buy now button on eBay of one that was like just barely over a grand or something, you know, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah. you know, and like, I feel like I missed my window. Like I'm just too old to get into war guitar playing now, you know, <laughs> young man's game. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not necessarily war guitar, but Chapman stick, but Tony Levin is still playing Chapman even now on the liquid tension stuff. Right. Well, yeah, no, I mean, if you've been doing it all along, that's one thing. Like, he's the yeah, original yeah. fucking, you know, Mr. fucking Pencil Fingers or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do actually love the hell out of all that late King Crimson shit. Like, who's that other dude, Gun? What's his name? Trey Gunn. Oh, Trey Gunn. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a fucking madman. Totally. He's like really sick. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, when did, uh, Intronaut become like an actual like to put it together as a recording group did you guys get signed were you guys putting out demos what got you guys on the map to get a record quickly deal? though before we get to that is there any other projects in between what you were just talking about until we get to Intronaut is there anything of that you would want to talk about before we get to the Intronaut stuff not I mean not really like just other than that when I first started playing with Tim Nick and, and Mike Lerner. We had a band in like ninth grade and 10th grade called The Vagrants. And we wrote some originals, but like we covered The Call of Cthulhu. We covered nice. like um, Rage Against the Machine. This feels embarrassing now, kind of, but like we covered Sublime. That was like fully in our wheelhouse back then. <laughs> Dude, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a beach town boy. I wear sandals all day. Honestly, man. like those are still my jams. Like, you know, it's like, Fuck it's not yeah, something yeah. you want to stand proudly behind anymore. But yeah, those are the jams. I, I will, I will back it as great beach party music. Yeah, dude. it truly is. Oh, and also, that. I will say that, like, you know, I feel like reggae is unpopular with people who hate hippies. It's easy to demonize reggae. If you live in a city where you're like, oh man, these fucking hippies. Mm -hmm. But I grew up loving Jamaican music and reggae. Like I really love it, all of it. Me too, and, bro. Yeah. And like particularly Sublime and uh, Eric's bass lines. When I was 13 years old and I had just gotten that first off-white P bass, that those like propulsively melodic and just energetic bass lines, bad fish and all these like, I mean, I was loving that shit. And I feel like that makes for a better bass player than a lot of the, like the classic rock bass playing. That's almost just brainlessly like following the root or something, you know? Yep. And he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to puff on a cigar the whole fucking set too. <laughs> yeah. shit. What a beast. He is, he um, is a beast, dude but we had that band and that shit fell apart and then like um i met like my local neighborhood like punks and metalheads and stuff that's kind of what i was talking about earlier and that's how i met sasha in fact i was uh, i was telling you guys about that record store that i used to hang out in mm -hmm. when i was a kid and i came walking out of the door wearing my favorite op ivy shirt and I bumped into like six dudes my age, one of whom was wearing an Op Ivy shirt, the same like leaping guy shirt. And we just immediately were like, bro, like yeah. you know, just had like a little bro down right there on the sidewalk. Immediate connection. 
but they there was like six of them they were coming out of the dick's true value hardware right next door to the record shop and they had just bought all the pieces to make a beer bomb that's what they were <laughs> they were like headed home with their funnel to get rid priorities <laughs> funnel from the auto section the pipe from the fucking plumbing exactly. section exactly <laughs> but that was sort of like you know, when I, when I met the, or actually met them before, but sort of like re-met them on the street there and I got in touch with them and, and I, the dude ended up telling me that like, they had like a death metal band and they needed a bass player. So I went to like a rehearsal over there and that band only lasted like a few weeks before, like the drummer just disappeared or something, mm-hmm. but Sasha and I linked and he and I, like out of all these different crusty dudes with, you know, fucking dreads in, in this group hangout band practice sesh he and i sort of just sort of like vibed creatively so we ended up just a couple weeks later i went to just like swoop him up after school and start writing songs you know at my house on my tascam four track and um yeah right (laughs) (laughs) and uh after a while we ended up like Basically, I had a second band in high school that was called The Dregs that was a metal band. The reason the band name sounds so punk is because Sasha had had a punk band called The Dregs before that. And then that band fell apart. Then Sasha and I started a new metal project. But one by one, we got all the guys that had been in The Dregs. So it was like, fuck <laughs> new Dregs, like metal Dregs, Dregs the metal years. Fuck you know? yeah. You said a, a new a new metal project, not a new metal project. Right, right. Not, no, 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 no umlauts. N e w. N e w. Not n e u with two dots or whatever. I'm a zero umlaut kind of guy. Uh, but so we had that band, and and that was cool. And we even like wrote some songs and recorded some demos, like in a studio and stuff. That, like, they're they're like half laughable but they're also half like the nucleus of some shit was there too you know um so that was everything in high school and then you know i went to santa cruz for four years and this is where you know my story starts to interleave a little bit with joel and kc because that's how i know them through like the santa cruz metal dudes which is so funny to even say because right from the moment i came to santa cruz my first takeaway is wow, there is not a single soul into metal here. Like, good thing I'm into so many, you know, diverse kinds of music and I can just get, but I can just keep metal for myself and go to cool Keith shows or something instead. <laughs> fuck yeah. Um, Doc Doc yeah, Fuck yeah, dude. I saw, I saw him at a, what was uh not, not, Pal- yeah, Palookaville, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Throwback. Uh, I was going to see, I was going to see him at the DNA lounge and then he canceled like, fucking two days before the show was supposed to or, happen or was it the catalyst either way i don't know it was, it was i good. saw him at the catalyst in santa cruz one no time, this so was definitely dna because i it was uh i remember seeing uh i was going in for something else and i remember seeing the advertisement for coming up i'm like dude i'm gonna fucking get tickets for that but i never did and then i ended up finding out he canceled anyway so i was like oh shit well you talking about cool keith Cool Keith, yeah, he was he was gonna do a show in San Francisco. I forget what year it was, but it was like a, a last minute cancellation where so people you had, never saw him, never saw him, never saw him. Okay, no, nah, I'd fucking love to see him, dude. That dude seems like he'd be amazing, fucking live. I, I saw him a few times, but 
the year before I saw him the first time he played at Palookaville mm-hmm. and, and I heard about it from people who had been there and they were like, dude, he came out with a cardboard box full of Ziploc bags. Each one had two pieces of fried chicken and a Capri sun in it and just started launching them into the crowd. Just all of them. And was like, don't ever say hip hop didn't do nothing for you. Like, and I was like, really, really hoping for the same thing kind of when I saw him the first time. Uh, yeah. But of course, you know, cool. Keith does not gather any moss. So instead he was <laughs> just showering the crowd with like porn mags, like swank and black tail instead. He's like, I'm doing all my sex tape shit tonight. Exactly. Yeah. He was, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Um, but Santa Cruz was like a different time for me musically a little bit. Like I couldn't achieve hardly anything metal wise, but I sort of had my hands full because I was going to Santa Cruz for music and jazz specifically. And like, they were like bending me over their knee. So like, I really did not have all that much time for like being in bands outside of that. Um, and Santa Cruz was fucking awesome for music. I mean, like half the department, half the prospective students get washed out the first year because of how like gnarly it is. So if you if you run that gauntlet, like you kind of get to reap the rewards after that. Um, Mostly I was in it for the jazz. I also got kind of cross pollinated over at Cabrillo because Cabrillo is such a like fucking nationwide best community college anywhere hands down yep but ray brown in particular you guys all know about the legend of fucking brownie boy right i've taken i've taken two of his classes yeah i know yeah i mean i I went and retook every improv every year just to keep ingraining it you know um i also double enrolled at cabrillo in santa cruz when he stopped teaching combos at santa cruz so mm. that I could just double dip in both places. I also was living out there in Aptos too. So that's where that's where me and uh, Joseph are right now. Oh, cool! I'm, lit- I'm literally a block. I'm I'm probably a six minute walk to Cabrillo right now. Really I I'm I a five minute this. walk. I'm downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I lived right up from the stone ship. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right the, the cement street. ship. Yeah street was coats that i lived on i forget yeah. the real cross street but you, you that's know where it? i grew up that's, i grew up on sea ridge that's right that's pretty much the main drag there yeah that's that was, that's where i went to high school with aptos high did the whole the whole aptos gauntlet but yeah ray brown i remember just a quick ray brown memory and, and trevor too has taken his you know a bunch of his classes and stuff but the first day he was like what you said with uh, uc santa cruz he was like <laughs> he scares probably a good quarter out of his class away the first day like, he's like he starts off and he goes like his speech was uh he's all 99 percent my class is not good enough 99 percent is not what i want here he's like and just like started just going off and i was like oh shit and like there was a couple times where you know in the beginning classes where you'd just be like joel build me this or i'm improving over this build me this progression and stuff like that and i'd just be like i'd fuck up he'd be like you're giving me some weird tones joel i don't know what's going on you know like ray brown <laughs> you know ray brown and like <laughs> never again never because then once you start once you fuck up once or twice with him he will call on you every single fucking time first he will be you will be the first person that he calls on until you don't fuck up anymore so like 
you sit, you give him a wrong chord or give him something wrong, he'll, he'll just pick on you until like, so I would build like all the charts, do like so much extra work for the homework just to make sure if he calls on me and he tells me to do this inversion or something like that, that I'm ready. I'm just have everything ready to go, you know? And, and like without ever quite actually truly being a dick, he effectively got the best out of you better than you would have even dreamed of. He's scared. It's like a football coach. It's like a football yeah. coach that screams at you and yells at you. And, and then all of a sudden, like you guys win the championship at the end. There, you're hugging at the end. You know? There was fear involved in the motivation that it really <laughs> totally. worked. You know? oh, definitely. It's fear it's and love. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious how like consistent people's impressions of Ray Brown are because they're so like accurate. He's so like, you know, but like, when when someone's improvising in the class the minute that they play a single wrong note he's like b flat jonathan b flat you're going way out on me you're getting real deep <laughs> that's when you just let you like stop the whole class you're giving me some weird stuff here i don't know what's going on joel <laughs> like all the time those types of brains fascinate uh, me though dude you know it's yeah. just like he immediately knows when something's not right he, you know? he knows every note name occurring in every instrument simultaneously by the context. He doesn't even have to think about it, you know, mm. and he was, he was, he was a beast for sure. And I studied with him every year I was there. And I remember, I think it was my senior year. I was playing in the combos at Cabrillo. I was four years deep on upright only. Like I was playing like almost no electric bass at all. And he like stopped us right when we like finished a tune or something and he was like joe you're not rushing you're not dragging your plant your time is good and then he just moved right on with what he was saying but i was like holy shit that was like a 21 gun salute from fucking fuck yeah fuck yeah i mean i, mean, I, I don't really know the dude but just hearing you guys talk about him for a second i'm like dude that is like yeah exactly what you would want he You'd took like, a I'm whole done. I'm done. He took a whole five seconds out of his day to tell me my time was good. Like that mm. was meaningful. You know? Yeah, that is. He's not there to he's not there to prop you up or anything. He's there to you're in his band. You better do it right. He's Far from you. it. And in yeah. fact, you know, every jazz band that I ever was in would just use the real book and do it that way. Mm. But Ray Brown writes charts for tunes that have like stops and hits and and like choreographed unity between the the sections and everything. And he picks cool, weird tunes that aren't the ones in the real book and arranges them all sick. So right when you start the quarter, you get like a folder for your instrument in your clef with all the tunes. And man, it just really pushes you like, but also when he calls a new tune, because the way you were saying, he's such a fucking dick ripper about like any little mistake hmm. that the second that he would call a tune, everyone would like, lay it out on the stand and just start like aggressively scanning it down for anything tricky so that you wouldn't just beef it on the first take because he really wanted you guys to like sight read which is ne it's never really been my thing you know yeah yeah music school or not <laughs> did you yeah. did you ever come across um UCSC and stuff did you ever come across the astrosphere guys or cross yeah. with them at all yeah in fact you know like as we were going chronologically and we were talking about music and stuff, at some point I, I was going to want to talk to you guys about some of the other bands like that I've gotten to play for since Intronaut. Um, but 
in getting there, yeah, I definitely ran across a stratosphere. In fact, when I was a freshman, my first week of school, I was at Porter College, which is the one for the artists and musicians and the freaks and all that. Yep. Hmm. And we had in the lunch hall, a stratosphere play a concert at fucking lunchtime. Wow. The first week of school. And I already thought that I was like some sort of like supremely unique and eclectic person that was uniquely capable of loving both death metal and like Latin jazz by the age of 17. And here they are, you know, literally like mixing up all those genres and more. They did like a death metal cover of Living La Vida Loca. They did all this kind of like Argentinian tango music and shit. I mean, it really, I was like, whoa, you know? Gypsy um, jazz and eight yeah. bit and fucking. All, all that good stuff. And then, so as a new music department guy in Santa Cruz, it really didn't take me long before someone popped my secret chief's cherry. Yep. So all you guys fuck that's with a, the chiefs or that's what? A, that's oh, yeah, a good yeah, cherry yeah. to pop, dude. I know no where you're going with this. <laughs> Bro, real quick, have you heard um the John Zorn box set that they did and out al- they did one of the ten albums? It was the book of Bra. Yeah, yeah. There's there's two different albums that are Secret Chiefs plays. Yeah, they books. did books from yeah. the Masada oh, books yeah, right. two and then then books three or whatever. He, yeah, they, and both of them are fucking dude they did real quick they did a residency john zorn did a four-day residency at the chapel in sf and each night was different and it was all different bands that were playing his compositions and i picked the night that him and mike Patton were doing an improv set just him john zorn and mike uh cleric secret chiefs three and uh simulacrum all in one night dude and it was it was it was fucking church for me, dude. I, and I was at the chapel. What the fuck? <laughs> I almost drove up for that. I, I remember exactly that like block of shows, you know, yeah. that mini fest that you're talking Shout about. Shout out Trevor. Another guy who's probably roaming around that house right now is not on camera at Joel, yeah. at Joel's spot. He came, he met me there and dude, it was, yeah. It was Trevor Stewart. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, dude. The room. yeah, yeah. Oh, love yeah. that guy. Tell him I said, what's up? Yeah. Hell yeah. Joe says, what's up? Um, sorry to side swipe you on the secret chief shit in fact our our stories are going to wind up overlapping more than you realize because uh what started with me seeing a stratosphere and having my little you know freshman mind blown definitely pointed me in the direction of a lot of the musical resources of santa cruz like I went there for jazz, but I ended up getting real deep into the ethnomusicology part. I didn't really go there for that, but Secret Chiefs really made me like vibe hard with Middle Eastern stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to do like the gamelan shit that they had there, that African music stuff that I was able to do there. Um, I did two years back to back master classes with Ali Akbar Khan and his son doing like classical Hindustani music and shit so i wasn't really looking for ethnomusicology when i went there but that's what i got and i was like super hyped on it um but 
you know, a stratosphere sort of played a little role in, in exposing me to that my first week in Santa Cruz. I saw them a few times when I was there. Mm-hmm. So then flash forward to like way later, Intronaut's been a band that's been touring for a long time. I don't remember what year it was, maybe like 2010 or something like that. But Secret Chiefs was playing in LA. I went to the show and I was watching them play and I saw that they had a second guitarist and I totally recognized them as Jason from a stratosphere mm-hmm. who I had never really met back then because I was just some little freshman noob and they were this sick band that was like out of college, you know, but I recognized him and I went up to him after the show and I basically was like, Hey bro, like you would never know who I am, but I was like a freshman music us usc uh ucsc music major nerd and you guys played the fucking lunch hall and fucking knocked my socks off and i just wanted to come like say what's up and he was all super cool he was like interested i was he wanted to hear about intronaut and shit you know so we totally like became bros like we stayed in touch and he started asking me if i wanted to do like jazz gigs locally And I was like, fuck yeah. So we started doing like monthly paying gigs at just a cafe right near my house, like a nice restaurant where we just like get all baked and go play standards for two hours and then get like a big free fucking meal and some free drinks and stuff. It was really fun. Yeah, dude. But at some point over those years, he, he says to me, he was like, what would you think about like me passing your name on to like Trey? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that'd be cool. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. And then nothing ever like came of it. Um, but then like some period of time, much later, like even years later, he said the same thing again. He was like, so like, you know, what would you think about like me, like passing your like info on to Trey? And I was like, I would be super, super down. And he was like, okay, good. Cause like Trey's like kind of looking for a bass player right now. Like Toby is getting KO dot back up and running again. So he's like not available. And so I was like, yeah, of course. But then I got an email a couple days later and it was fucking Trey. And, uh, and he was like reaching out to me about playing in the chiefs. Um, And it was like super fucking surreal, right? Because Jay had like, Jason had clearly like told him, you know, enough about me that he, he, I'm sure he watched any like number of videos, you know, as I would imagine you would if you were sizing somebody up for a gig. But his takeaway was like, I will hire this guy without even having met him yet, you know? so in 2017, I became the newest secret chief. And yeah, I did a, a big tour that year. It was like two months long. It was like one of the longest tours I've ever done. Um, but it was opening for Dead Cross. So yeah. did you guys go to that show in, in the day? No, no, I missed it. But I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. And I kicked myself for missing it. Jello came out to perform Nazi Trump's fuck off on the show at the show. Uh, <laughs> <yes>. Pretty rad. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like this, this particular experience of getting to play for the chiefs and it was only the one tour so far because, you know, 
there's not been any activity, you know, for the Chiefs since Bungle got active again. But um, I, I do have like the the expectation and, and the hope of doing it again someday if, if there are tours to be done. But even just for like a musician and a life experience perspective, I learned about the Chiefs when I was a freshman. I was like 17, you know, and for over, you know, probably 15 years, the Chiefs were probably the band that I referred to as my favorite band and that I only told people about if I thought that their taste in music was awesome. Like I didn't even waste time. But if I thought someone was sick, then I was like, let me tell you about my favorite band in the world, the Secret Chiefs. Like all these years I spent as a super fan like that, you know, and then actually getting to like do the tour. And part of what was crazy about it was that the music is so dense, right? Mm -hmm. Least rehearsing of any band ever oh shit. it's all just kind of on an honor system like yeah just learn it at home we'll figure it out on stage <laughs> Dude, man, I mean, you, like, you see it live and you're like these guys have to spend 23 hours a day on this music we only rehearsed as a band for three days before the tour and they were saying they were going wow, we never really had a whole band camp like this before. This is fantastic. Like they're used to just absolutely winging it. Ah, Jesus, man. But it was a trip. There was the, the, the opening set we were doing was 45 minutes, but there was a whole second leg where we were doing a bunch of headliners. And that set was an hour and a half. Yeah, I was going to say like 90 minutes probably. So I had to learn basically on my own. Trey sent like charts for maybe three songs, but like the other 23, I had to just like figure out, you know? Um, although I will say he did come to town like a month before the tour and we, me, him and Jason spent a weekend where he was kind of like correcting some shit that I had maybe heard enharmonically or something. Um, but another thing that was super like outlandishly challenging about that gig and just one of the many examples of why Trey is like easily one of the sickest and most inspiring composers in the fucking game, but his like respect for the world music cultures that he is influenced by is really deep. Like it's not mm -hmm. some kind of like, Oh, I'm just going to fucking bite it for flair. You know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. I was just about to say, like, it, it, he's not just throwing it in there to throw it in there. It's actually like a, the, no, a, a fucking core <laughs> part of of the Chiefs. Yeah, for sure. He, yeah, he's he's deep into, like, respecting those traditions before he even starts to integrate them into his own vibe, you know. But a couple of the things, I mean, as you guys probably know, like all the, the Secret Chiefs material with the word Ishrakian at the end of the, the band name is in the Turkish microtonal tuning, but they have like a whole body of material that is written on instruments that aren't regular guitars. They are, he has a guitar that he had custom like retrofitted for him that has the spacing of a Turkish stringed instrument the saws in particular is the instrument, but it has long and short frets. 
to, to our eye, it has two different sized frets. And the short ones are like a half step, like we're used to, but the long ones are a three quarter step in between a half and a whole. And that is how Turkish music is intonated. That's just the way it is. So he had a guitar made where every so many frets, there's a fret halfway in between two frets. And that allows you to go either Turkish or standard at any time on the same instrument. Then he had a bass made with those same frets. So that's how they've been able to perform live all this like Ishrakian material that's in the, the Turkish intonation. Did you play any of that? I did, but the, but the catch was, is that I'm a lefty. So ah, fuck, dude. there's only one, <laughs> Only I mean, I'm a lefty too, but I'm just like, fuck, dude, I'm feeling your pain because it's <laughs> my whole life, dude. Do you play lefty? Uh, no, actually, I had to learn all the instruments that I play, I'm that I play, I learned right-handed. Well, drums, you, guitar, everything, I learned right-handed, dude. But then you've been spared the nightmare of, like, actually living yeah. in a right-handed world and being all on your lonesome, you know? But I always feel like a fraud when I'm doing it. <laughs> well, I definitely don't feel like a fraud, but there's a big price to pay. So, you know, the grass may always be greener in, in you know, our case, but um, I couldn't play the Ishrakian bass because it, you know, obviously it would be a righty for me, but I've been like fretless specialty since in, Intronaut has always been a hundred percent fretless always. Mm -hmm. So the fretless allowed me to play those three quarter intonations yeah, on my preferred instrument. You know, I just had to learn how to just how to do it. I had to basically override 15 years of learning intonation <laughs> to like now fuck it up. You know, um, I remember drawing like little sort of like notation for myself where I would add a plus sign in front of the note to indicate to me that it was that note and a quarter. Mm -hmm. Then another, uh, another like unique challenge that stemmed from how like authentic Trey is to all the music that he's inspired by was um, that there were some particular songs that were based on like, uh, I think it was like Afghani music in particular, but that it featured a sort of rhythmic device that is so contrary to everything that we as Western musicians are taught, where in this particular song, or actually a couple songs that use this, that picture a bar of music, the, the first half of the bar is rushed like dramatically. And then the second half of the bar is dragged dramatically to compensate for the Russian. So while you have not changed the tempo any, the bar remained the same length it was, you've created this incredible like pushing, pulling effect mm -hmm. where like if it, let's say it was four, four, the beat three is way early of the true half, but you're, it's, it's, being made musical but with this kind of like squeeze stretch effect squeeze stretch the riff gets squeezed and then stretched on every repetition and that was like another time where like holy fuck i have to like 
override everything that Ray Brown and every other music teacher has taught me about respecting the fucking tempo, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is it yeah. rushed? I'm, I'm thinking, cause I'm thinking of some other shit that Joseph had taught me within the last few months. Is it like an accelerando up to a certain point and then deceleration retardando. or is it retardando? It, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, technically, yeah, it's both of, it's both of those. It's like, let's say just, to break it down that you weren't applying that rhythmic device to the riff this particular song i'm thinking of you know if it was in time it would be like that's the figure in time like in a normal in mm -hmm. time so the way that they would play it would be like Dun, 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 you know, mm. so it's so it's... organic that you could not like teach your logic tempo how to represent it. We had to practice it together. Me yeah, and you, had to get, you had to get locked in and be able to flow outside of the tempo together and be hitting the notes at the same time. It, it, it's almost like this little like leap of faith thing where you have to just like let go of holding on to the pulse the way that you always have mm -hmm. and just look at the guy and be like we're doing this right like <laughs> uh, <dude. laughs> that's true trust dude yeah that's trust yeah that's super rad can i follow but, up on just a couple things joe um, of course first thing is um I've been to like all the Ray Brown concerts that he would do, like the annual ones at Cabrillo. So just wanted to throw out that he, he did those and everyone in Santa Cruz got to go and see them, not just the people who were taking his classes. So that helped like expand his legend in, in the scene here. And then oh, the other awesome. thing is um, I just, uh, I teach for UCSC right now and I have a music freshman music major living in Porter College right now in one of my classes. And uh it's still going, man. They're still showing up. They're still fresh and wanting to learn. And uh, it's rad that I'm just talking to a Porter music guy right now, having just met um, my current student for the first time in person today. So that's awesome. I'm yeah. so happy to hear that. Yeah. And if I could go back and do it over, I think the only thing that I would change was that back then I was like so fixated. I was like a purist about not just music, but art in general. And I was kind of a Luddite about computer technology. I was like, what? No, you got to learn how to be an artist by hand. Like, you know, I really was on my high horse about that. So I just completely like scoffed at the idea of taking their like electronic music program. But that shit is off the hook. I really wish that I had taken advantage of it because now that I... Yeah. Now I'm like in my late thirties and I'm like teaching myself production at home and stuff. And I'm like, holy fuck, I could have been getting schooled on this when I was 18 on like industry standard hardware and stuff instead of like, now I'm just like doing Udemy videos at home about logic. Like, yeah, I, I wish I could have taken advantage of that, but. And, and my student, he told me today he's taking a music and AI class. So awesome. Yeah. Is it David Cope? Is, is he still there? I don't know. I didn't ask him who the professor is. I can ask him tomorrow because uh, he's hopefully coming to class. <laughs> Did you yeah. say music and AI? Yeah, that's the name. Like of the artificial intelligence, huh? Yeah. So there was this. Now, yeah. There was this professor back when I went there. I was there from 2000 to 04. 
there was this professor named David Cope. I had him for, I think, like composition or orchestration or something, one class. But he was the music in AI guy. He was also a really interesting professor. He was like an old guy with a white beard who only slept like one hour a night. You know, those like weird people. Mm-hmm. And he would walk to campus every day through the forest because he was a amateur mycologist, but he was like on the mushroom hunt to and from campus every day. And he would just curse like a fucking sailor. We loved (laughs) this guy, but he was all about artificial intelligence and music. And he created a software, like an algorithm named Emmy, which stood for experiments in musical intelligence and Emmy he would teach the style of composers. He, in other words, he would take famous composers and break every facet of their style into like algorithms, you know, that could be taught to Emmy. And then once he had, you know, programmed Emmy with the Chopin algorithms or the Mozart algorithms or whatever, Emmy would crank out like, 10,000 works in one second. Oh my Jesus God. And, and he'd like play them down, you know, for our benefit in class. And sure, there'd be a couple clunkers in there, you know, you'd get get some fucking clams, but every now and then Emmy would be like dead on, you know? And I thought one of the most interesting things about David Cope and Emmy was that after like some set number of years, like 30 years or something, he destroyed it. Whoa. Because he said that Emmy should have- Take over the world, dude. He just said composers (laughs) have lifespans. Why would Emmy be any different? Wow. Only 30, dude. We're supposed to make it to like 80. (laughs) (laughs) I know he was harsh, dude. (laughs) So it looks like- Oh, sorry. It looks like David is a uh, professor emeritus now. So okay. I don't know if he's still teaching, but I'll, I'll ask my student. Yeah. That's wild though, that he, he, he yeah. just ended the fucking, you know, just ended Emmy dude. Right. I, I miss Emmy now. But yeah, you definitely got to ask your student, you know, if, if he's heard anything about the legend of this guy, especially considering the artificial intelligence and music aspect, I, I imagine he has. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, dude, and mention Emmy too. I, I'm I'm fascinated by this, dude. Yeah, I'll probably tell my student to watch this episode of our podcast and <laughs> do it taping yeah. right now. So, cool. yeah. Have you guys seen the bands with like the robots that play the instruments? Captured by <laughs> robots. Oh, huh? captured by robots. Yep. Yeah. Oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Nice. Clearly, all of those bands are just ripoffs of the Chuck E. Cheese house band. Or Country Bear Jamboree or whatever from Disneyland back in the day. I remember being a child in Disneyland and going through It's a Small World, and there was like all these people playing. They call them animatronics. Yeah, it scared the shit out of me as a kid. I was not down. Like it's all like one eye is like blinking, like not in, in service and shit, and then it's just all chomping. Like it's not in service. My my right eye is not in service right now. Isn't there like a Simpsons episode where they're it's like they become evil or something? 
and they like oh, chase I'm sure, them. dude. Dude, <laughs> so Simpsons has called out way too much stuff that's happened. It's kind of creepy. Oh, that. I'm a little creeped out by them. <laughs> yeah. They have a pretty good track record. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, Secret Chief, so you did that. So we kind of skipped over some intronaut stuff. So, um, f- so it's always been fretless, you said? There's never been a fretted intronaut album? There's never even been a single song on a fretted bass. And I think that like part of that was that, I mean, I was just attracted to the fretless bass. Even when I was in high school, I knew that I was interested in it. Um, I was, I'd Mike Lerner had turned me on to jazz even in high school. So I was already into metal, but I was like being exposed to jazz in a sincere way. And I loved Jocko. Like I really was, you know, impressed by Jocko, but I I believed that you could not play fretless in metal. I just didn't think it was something that worked. And then I remember hearing Steve DiGiorgio Mm -hmm. on fucking um, individual thought patterns, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that was like literally the moment where I was like, you can play fretless in metal i'm gonna play fretless in metal like you know and now now you see a lot of like you know progressive canadian tech death bands they're all about having the fretless bass you know like yeah yeah dude yeah hugo's the man what some band that he was in open for the secret chiefs when we were in uh, montreal actually oh red yeah um but yeah, so it's been it's been all fretless. I think part of that just came from like I I went through all the trouble to to learn about jazz cuz that I was really just vibing to like harmony, like the role that harmony plays in all music, you know? And I also knew that I'm not a shredder. Like that's not my strength. If you want just like cascading 30 second notes i'm not your guy you know i'm more about like rhythmic teamwork and odd time trickery and cool harmonic motion you know and that's cool there's 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 something for everybody but for me like that's just where i'm at and i felt like with the jazz background and those kind of musical goals, even in a metal setting, that the fretless would work, you know? And I've Definitely. been pretty happy with it, so. I'm not How just saying you- this because you're a guest tonight. I was I was re-listening to a bunch of Intronaut stuff and um, Valley of Smoke is a, a really cool instrumental that I fucking love. Doesn't and, it have uh, Justin Chancellor on it? It does have Justin Chancellor That's on cool. it. Cool. Yeah. So that's not you. Well, it's a bass duet, that song. Oh, uh, okay. And in fact, this will be cool when you go back and, and listen to it, especially on, on your cans there. Mm-hmm. That That's how I always listen. I, okay, I got to gotta have both ears on that song for sure. Good, because in in a way that was very loosely inspired by an album called Free Jazz by the Ornette Coleman Double Quartet. Have you guys ever heard of that? I know Ornette Coleman, yeah. Sure. So he made, like, he's famous for really spastic free jazz. And this particular album is very spastic. And, you know, it's not the most musical of all that stuff. But it was groundbreaking. And part of what was groundbreaking about it was that he had an entire quartet 
panned all the way to the left and an entire quartet panned all the way to the right. And they are improvising together, but hard panned. So when you listen to the record, you're actually hearing one tune snare this way and one tune snare that way. You're hearing the like separation. So we knew we wanted to do a tune with Justin. We had been friends with like the tool guys for a little while. It actually, we started being friends with them because Dave um, from Intronaut is, uh, he's like a Gracie jujitsu purple belt. He's been doing that shit his whole life. And back then he was a bouncer at the only bar in Topanga. And like a lot of famous people live up in Topanga and that's the only bar. So like Dave ended up becoming friends with like, Justin from Tool and uh, fucking Shock G from fucking Digital Underground and shit. R.I.P. By the way, I was gonna mention that dude. I don't know if any. He passed away. Bro, he passed away yesterday. Oh my god, I didn't know, dude. Holy shit! I was I was gonna say it up top, and I totally forgot. But yeah, dude. dude. I know. That's that's some synchronicity that you just reminded me. It's it literally was yesterday. So when people hear this, it'll be two days ago. But yeah, dude. R.I.P. Shock G, dude. That's heart. That's heartbreaking. I'm sorry. I know it's very heartbreaking, dude. And and to real quick, just say something about that is with Digital Underground. It was funny because I always, when I was younger, I always thought it was three MCs. I I <laughs> didn't find out until a couple of years later that it, Shock G was actually both Humpty and Shock <laughs> G, dude. <laughs> so it's like you go back and watch all those music videos or or uh, what's that fucking movie that they were in uh, with uh, Chevy Chase? They oh, popped in on the Chevy Chase movie. Some, nothing But Trouble, is that the name? I don't fucking know. But they were in and uh, yep, they had to shoot trouble. it. They had to shoot it as like three people in the band, but Shock right. G, two of the guys. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what's even funnier is that when Dave first became friends with Shock G, they like became bros. They like did mushrooms together. They were like hanging out. Wow. We had always wanted, we had always had a dream that was to get cool Keith to rap on a secret track on our Wow. That's what we wanted, you know? And then Dave became friends with Shock G and he asked Shock G if he would rap on a secret track. Mo, what's your problem? <laughs> Hold on, my cat's complaining. Hold oh, on. Yeah, another <laughs> cat, <laughs> another <laughs> cat making a appearance, That's dude. It's cat. funny that like pretty much every person that we've interviewed has I know I got my cat here too. Like, what up? This is Mochi. Uh, what's up? What's Mochi's up, Mochi? Very, very Mochi. Super cute. Dude, it's a uh, cat, cats, and like musicians. Cat thing. cast, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cali death cat cast. Like, I think every, I think everyone has had a cat. What's funny is that my entire life, kids would tease me about how my first name should be Mo, you know, so that I would be Mo Lester. <laughs> and then my wife named our cat Mochi, but now she's just called Mo. She is Mo Lester. She is a Mo Lester, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, dude. So wait, you were just talking about Shock G on a secret track. Right. So, so Dave like asked him if he would be down and he was like, he said, yeah, but then he like quoted some fucking rate that was all crazy or something. And Dave was just like, oh yeah, sorry, never mind. We can't like roll like that. We were just trying to, you know, like, you know, just get it. Just get it going. Yeah. 
and then and to which he was like dave played i made the song like i made like a like a rap beat with kind of like swimmy like middle eastern vibes and stuff oh, i'd love to hear this dude and they it's i think it's on some old ass laptop of mine around here somewhere but um i uh i made this beat he played it for him and he was like down he was like down to do it but then he just ghosted he like ghosted on topanga altogether like no one even knew where the fuck he was you know he was a trippy dude for sure well fuck dude that same bar that brought shock g into our lives also brought tool into our lives and you know dave had like really fostered a friendship with justin that was just based on hanging out at the bar and dave loves tool but dave also understands like how famous people are and the last thing they want to do is get punished about their shit so dave just treated him like another fucking english con at the soccer game you know that's what he wants he wants yeah. dudes that just treat him like his fucking mates you know mm-hmm, totally and so they became like proper bros and then some night that they were like partying at justin's house and and you know justin was like oh you should hop behind the drums and like dave like did some shit and he was like oh oh shit you know got on his radar a little bit um but the way that that valley of smoke came came to be was that we knew that isaac i isis the band had mm-hmm. had justin play on a song on one of their albums i forget if it was panopticon or oceanic but they had him as a guest artist on a song and he had like mentioned to dave how that experience kind of like wrinkled him just a little bit because they gave him the song and he started kind of like doing his thing on it and they were like oh no like we have a baseline for you to play already that was just the same thing like repeating and he was kind of like oh well why me then you know Mm -hmm. but he Mm -hmm. did it he did it anyways and then his name is splashed all over the fucking sticker on the cd and the vinyl and everything and it just kind of left like a little bit of like a funky taste in his mouth yep yeah so rightly so right so when we proposed the idea to him or actually we waited for him to say it we had already talked about it but we waited for the moment that he was like man we ought to fucking collaborate sometime um (laughs) that as soon as he said it, we were like, yes, absolutely. Like, let's do that. And uh, when we offered it to him, we were like, you have total creative freedom. You have final editorial say so over your part in all ways. And we won't even use your name if you don't want to. You can make up a fucking, you know, pseudonym or whatever the fuck you want. That's not, that's not why you're here, you know? Mm -hmm. And he loved that. He loved this idea. So we wanted to like tee, tee it up to just be like a success. You know what I mean? So we wrote a song that where we specifically moved Dave off of the guitar and onto the drum kit. Dave is like a multi-instrumentalist of the highest order. And we had a double rhythm section with two kits and two basses panned left and right influenced by ornette uh, coleman okay but 
so because we wanted you to be able to appreciate the maximum separation between the like distinctly different bass tones and the two different drum kits with their differently tuned snares and whatnot. You and know? I've listened to each side individually as well, because when I listen to stuff at work, I can only listen with one <laughs> ear. Right. And, so and, and when I had listened to that, when I had a, you know, I had a good run with that album when it came out. Um, I would try both. I would go both sides on that song and it would be a totally different right. experience. You you were literally getting to experience each side of the polyrhythm by itself, you know, because that's exactly what was happening. Like one side is doing like a Cuban 12-8 and the other side is doing three bars of four, but they yep. both add up to 12. Like It's a great um, fucking tune to listen to, dude. It's a fun one. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. But, and that's not only that's I'm not just zoning in on the one instrumental, you know, I, I listened to a, a few of your guys' albums, but that was just one that was coming out in the moment right now. Valius. Well, that that tune is a, is a standout for a bunch of reasons. And and a couple other um, things about it were that, like, we wanted Justin to have fun and do his do his best shit with minimal effort like he's, he's a fucking rock star he's agreeing to come to our shitty little studio for a night like we wanted to just tee it up to be ideal totally so we wrote the song we made it we made an agreement with him we said you can write any part you want and we'll write our parts around your part for that riff in the song but then we will write a whole song around your section and you may do whatever you want on the rest of the song. But that was sort of like the agreement. Yeah. But we wrote the whole song in D minor because we all know that that's like Tool's fucking wheelhouse, like drop D minor vibes for days, you know? Yep, yep. So we wrote the tune in D minor so that it would just be like right where he does his fucking shit. And sure enough, the part that he wrote was in D minor. So it was like a no, it was a no brainer. But the last little like kind of cool story that I have about this particular song is that like, I really wanted the two bases to be featured, like not a gimmick and not some sort of like sloppy mess of like competing frequencies, but really, you know, I wanted it to like work. And so when he wrote his part for the middle section of the song, which is the part with the tabla, like the long droning groove, um, he wrote the thing, it's in D minor, it's got a couple sort of implied chord changes, but otherwise it's just sort of like sitting on D. And it totally had plenty of room for the groove, but I wanted to write a bass line that like really, added something and wasn't just like splashing around in the exact same musical territory as his baseline. So I wrote like a baseline that has four chords. Like my baseline has chord changes. His doesn't. So my chords are recontextualizing his notes. You know, it's it's like a reharmonization ultimately. And almost all of it is essentially 
pretty consonant, but there are a couple times where I like intentionally just slide right through some harmonic planing that is out of the key, but is still like having some chromatic motion that, you know, is makes you forgive it. Um, and I thought it was fucking badass. I mean, I, I, I dug deep though. Like I wanted this baseline to really like do something musically interesting and not just be like, Oh, D minor two for me too. Like, you know, um, and so, I did it. We did it. We released the record. It was all cool and fine. And then we did the tour. We did the tool tour. And there was like two shows where we actually played it. They, they had a day off where they were in the same venue two nights in a row. So they didn't have a sound check the second night. And that was our opportunity to run it one time. And I had actually just relearned it with, to do a, like a video with Evan Brewer where we like played it. So I had it all fresh to, to reteach him his own parts and stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but we played it, it was sick. And then I can't remember if, it, I think it maybe was a different night on the tour, but we went out after to some like after hours spot in like Canada or something. And we were all getting super fucking drunk and he like, you know, grabs me by the neck and he's like, he's telling me basically, he was telling me, Mate, when I first heard your baseline, I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, he didn't like it, you know, when he first heard it. But he was like, but I kept listening to it. And like, after a while, I started to understand. And, and now I'm like, man, that's fucking brilliant, man. That's fucking great. Like, mm. but it really was like a funny moment to have Justin pull me aside and tell me how much he fucking hated it when he At first heard it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, shit, where's this going to go, dude? Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, fuck. Oh, man. Dude, that's what a that's a fucking sick story, though, dude. Talk about doing the the tool tour though. How did that? I mean, how was that? That's probably fucking next level, life changing. Like as far as the crowd size and you know all, all the fans and stuff like that, and dealing with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that as an experience, it's everything that you know you guys are picturing because you guys have all played shows and probably even like bigger festivals than me, so you know what it's like to play like a crowd that big. But there is just something different about like a three band no a two band bill but it's at the mandalay bay sport arena you know or something like it's yeah. a trip. so everything from like the nerves you know like there was absolutely like a new sense of nerves that had not been there in like a zillion years to like the technology i mean this was 2012 um and even then, you know, I still would describe us as being a pretty like scrappy little outfit with not the most professional of gear in our touring rig, if you know what I mean. So here we are like raw dogging it on like shitty bar fucking monitors every night and stuff. And right from the first night, like Tools crew, who they had zero like obligation to be nice or cool to us. I've toured with smaller bands than Tool where their crew was kind of like trying to big dick us or something. Mm -hmm. And no, Tool's crew were super cool. Um, they, uh, 
they like just they saw us like dicking around with our shitty stuff on day one and they were just like hey like how about you use these in-ear packs that we have all lined up there's like 60 of them right here we'll just put your names on them in tape and you can use them for the whole tour how's that and we're like oh okay but we're like oh but like we don't know anything about and they're like no don't worry about it we'll just do it boom can you hear oh yeah oh you're good like they just did it for us they just like laced this up you know um jesus so that was super cool. Oh, and one topic that I thought of that we could we could talk about in this in this podcast is tour pranks, which Intronaut is mm-hmm. actually legendary for. I want to hear them. <laughs> but I think we all know that there's kind of like a, you know, an imbalance of power on a tour that when it comes to pranking bands that you usually prank down, not up. You don't prank the headliners, right? Like they, you can prank like if they're like a little bit up, you can prank them, but not like tool yeah. up. Or if you're like super <laughs> bros or something, you totally. know. But the general, the base setting is yeah, know, you know. Um, but we no, we did not prank tool, but they pranked us by coming out on stage. Justin was wearing a full ghillie suit, like the mossy fucking camouflage. Thing, you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and skis and he just came like clomping out onto the stage <laughs> while you guys are playing yeah like between songs or something <laughs> and then and he comes out and we're all laughing like what the fuck you know and then uh danny carey who's like six six or something i mean he's just like a man mountain comes out shirtless in overalls with a big straw hat and no shoes <laughs> And chases Justin off the stage before we can. Like, I would say, I would say after that, you guys should have should have got him back, dude. No, I mean it's it's tool though. You're just like you're just thankful that happened. Like, in fact, in fact, even if I wanted to prank tool back somehow, there was a night on that tour where a friend of mine and I tried to watch from side stage. We tried to just go to the side stage to watch tool. And we got just like spirited off the stage by like Maynard's jujitsu team, (laughs) you know, like his security is, is next level. Yeah. Yeah. They're very It's a very serious show they have. It would be, they're not, they're not willing to have a guy run out like dressed like a mummy or something and fuck. Exactly. Yeah. They just have the fucking opening band streaking on them. Yeah. No, it's not happening with them. No quick side note on Maynard and uh, jujitsu shout out to Danny Bohegan. I forget the name of his dojo, but uh, I think it was either the last time or the time before uh, tool came through and he trained with uh, Maynard. He likes to find local dojos when he's on tour and Danny's was his, uh bay area one so he got to train with with maynard and dude that's awesome yeah he's really good yeah Yeah. multiple times i actually talked to to danny about three or four months ago and uh he says every time that he's in town he stops by they're like he's all i'll I'll call him for you he did that whole thing i'm like no 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 (laughs) (laughs) he did that whole (laughs) i think he was kidding but like yeah he stops by that he trains a bunch of like the san jose sharks and maynard and yeah it's just like every time maynard comes through it's just that the bro pick with them like you're just like rolling on the ground with fucking maynard right now it's, fucking, <laughs> it's like he used to fucking dude. tour do little shitty mini fests with carnivorous and now you're actually fucking <laughs> hanging with the real rock stars dude. We're still fucking scraping along trip. do you guys fuck with like mma and stuff like that 
I mean, I watch the fuck out of it. I watch it every weekend. Yeah. And I respect the shit out of it, no doubt. And I used to, I used to uh, train in Kempo, but not like jujitsu. It was more, you know, just learning self-defense and shit like that when I was younger. Uh, but yeah, watching dudes at, at that high level, it, even though I don't follow it and know everybody's names and shit, if I'm, if, you know, before the pandemic and shit, if they'd be like a, a big event and everybody's having a party, I'd fucking go and have a great time watching dudes fuck each other up. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, I got that. I got, I got that Usman Masvidal already paid for. Oh yeah. See, I was bummed with how boring the first fight was. Like I was really excited for it and I paid for it. And then oh, they yeah. just up on the fence the whole fucking time. And I was kind of bummed. He had like a six day window to, to train for that. Cause I think I forget who Usman was going to fight in the beginning, but that, the dude fell off. And That's then, true. And he had six days day on, on late notice. You're right. Yeah. So this is supposed to be better, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I really like Mosfidal when he's on, he's like really frightening. Yeah. Um, but the reason I'm, I mentioned it, you guys know, Brian Ortega, you know who that yeah. yep. is? Yep. If trains with him oh, They're like shit. on the same jujitsu fucking team in, in LA here, like Damn. they've trains with him weekly. Yeah, dude. Yeah, no, that guy is very scary. <laughs> that guy is <laughs> fucking freak, dude. Yeah, no, no, he uh, yeah, he got beat by uh, the Hawaiian guy. What's his name? Hall- Holloway. Holloway. Yeah, and yeah. That then, was that was a gnarly one, dude. He totally. really, he really worked him. I won a bunch of money on that. Joel, who's the guy <laughs> you went to high school with? Oh, uh, I didn't go to high school with him, but uh, Luke Rockhold is from around here, and uh, he's oh. all he's a part of. It's part of the uh, AKA with like. Uh, Cormier and um, uh, the Mag- uh, Khabib, you know, Cormier, like Cormier is from Gilroy. Gilroy, yeah, he's a he's a wrestling teacher or a coach right. out there. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the that's trip. cool. They're just all around. They're just yeah. They you randomly see them in town and shit, just like fucking MMA legends, you know, just like going down to fucking Capitola to go get a drink or something, you know. It's a trip here. Just going to fucking down to Pleasure Pizza to punk the slugs, <laughs> salt the slug, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking slugs. Get, Get off my wave, kook. <laughs> uh, it's that's that's definitely less of a thing now with the gentrification of this town. But back in the that day, was a thing back then about that was a thing. That's I grew popping up popping in on a wave or even being out in the lineup if those guys came around. Like totally. No, was, you, there was surfer gangs when I was a kid. It was the South Siders, the East Siders, the West Siders. Like they were gangs. They would. Um, I remember the Southsiders were kind of was in the south side of town in Aftos. They would like do fucked up things like, oh, this guy that we don't like is having a party. Okay, we're gonna go to his party. So oh, we're gonna like we're gonna break all the windows. We're gonna steal his car and throw it off a cliff. They were still doing that. Like when I was a student, every like house party ended with a bunch of locals refusing to leave until a fight occurred. Like yeah, yep, yep. Did they it's take, definitely calm did they down. take territories and shit? Like you can't surf this beach. You can't surf. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. It's very. It's the same kind of Hawaiian territorial kind of thing going. With Especially the... because that sort of like Half Moon Bay is the biggest wave on the West yeah. Coast, outside of like yeah. Hawaii or something. So yeah, they're pretty fucking protective of the whole Mavericks. Mavericks. Yeah. 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 yeah Mavericks the... is something that like literally. They don't know until like a few days before it's going to happen. And people fucking flock from all over the world. They get the call. They're like, I'm on a plane from fucking across the world right now to go hit Mavericks. You're like, 
damn dude that's fucking gnarly you got to be jet skied in to catch these fucking waves people are watching you from the coast with fucking binoculars like oh dude that dude's doing fucking sick shit right now bro <laughs> even like hawaiian surfing legends have died on mavericks because it's oh, just yeah it's a unique beast you know mm -hmm. they're not they're not all hollow like the hawaiian waves it's like a mountain mavericks is yeah. a different shaped wave like i remember guys... like growing up here like i was like my friends would take me out surfing and stuff and i was like not obviously not a surfer but i would be like oh let's go yeah i'll go you guys and they're like they're all like most of them are pro now but they just like take me out to like the craziest shit and i'm just like get murdered by like a fucking seven foot wave and just be like all right dude i'm done this is like <laughs> I'm, I'm from la so i learned how to like longboard on like little knee high fucking beach breaks at venice and shit like yeah but when i was in santa cruz one of my roommates who was like a proper surfer from like ocean beach in the bay area or something was like, oh yeah, bro, no, I'll take you to some places. They're pretty chill, you know, three mile, four mile, Waddell, like, and I would just get like fucking trash, just like over the falls, like 30 times in a row. And then I'd be like, okay, I think I'm just gonna paddle in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Your old base is pretty sick. I'll just stick to base. <laughs> base is great. <laughs> dude, I just picked up a fretless, dude. I'm chill, dude. Yeah, that's good. That happened to me. I started surfing again this this uh, last month, and like I totally had that same thing. Just Newport Pier, and I was just totally crushed by like a two footer. <laughs> just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I remember uh, even around here, like with the longboarders, they're like, "Fuck longboarders!" Like, like the shortboarders are like, they hate longboarders now. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's now, but back like ten years ago, and like if you were. Uh, uh, boogie border they'd be like you fucking dick dragger sponger <laughs> sponger <laughs> so um my friend has a sticker on his uh fridge that says never forget 26th avenue before wave storms huh. i had to have someone explain this to me but wave storms are the costco surfboards that they sell now <laughs> so it's like never forget God. before all the kooks got their costco boards and started going out that's amazing especially because 26th was like the in-town surf spot yeah yep. that's where his dad that's where your dad lives right yeah we live off 26 yeah that's where i'm yeah. you know gonna go back to tonight yeah fucking 26 bro two six <laughs> two six yeah yeah fuck yeah well that's cool man i mean we didn't actually I mean, I want to actually go into something real quick about you and Odious, because there was a, a with you and David and stuff. Wasn't there um, some talks or some jamming of you, uh, Joe, playing in, in Odious for a second? Yeah, exactly. It was like I had met Dave and them like, you know, probably just during my last year, you know, which was probably when I met you over at their house. Where was that house that they lived in that was up? In like Ben Lomond or some shit like that. Uh, or, I don't know. They were up. They were up in the fucking up in the forest there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but um, basically, I when I when I met Dave, I like felt like I had finally found a dude that I could play metal with in fucking Santa Cruz after four years of just only playing jazz and not knowing any metalheads at all. Mm -hmm. And they were writing some like really dense shit. You know, it was like that original odious material or i feel like it might have even been called like yoshika flex at one point oh yeah casey yeah was that casey's was that your that band? was your e that was your email for years casey. <laughs> yeah. 
How yeah, funny just... is this that where this is going this far back, right? Yeah. Oh, I love it, dude. This is exactly, I mean, this isn't the only place I wanted to go, but I definitely wanted to touch on some of this stuff so, during the podcast. Yeah, because you were, this is before Joel, obviously, you know? So like you, you were going, like going to be the, like the first bass player we ever had, really. But here's, this was the problem, was that we didn't even link until my senior year. Yeah. Me and Dave. And then I started learning the shit, but it's so dense that it takes a long time to learn, right? Like it took yeah. like however many months to even learn like one song or something. And I already knew that I was moving back to LA right okay. when the school year ended. Totally. Because, dude. and this will like eventually go back to a question that you guys were asking about like how Intronaut started, but Sasha and I literally said to each other in high school, let's start a band right when you come back from music school. And that was Intronaut. So like, it was a plan that we had held since before I even started college. Totally. Well, you fucking so, blew it. You should have stayed with Odie. Yeah. No, so much money you missed out on. Oh, but then yeah. Joel wouldn't have got a gig, bro. I know, yeah. right? I'd be, I'd be nothing. And I wouldn't be in his house right now. It's true. So. <laughs> well, that's actually, yeah, I remember uh, I, the first formal time I, m I remember hanging out with you and meeting you was backstage at a club. We were playing with like Deeds of Flesh or something, and you were just backstage, and they were like, and Dave was all, "Hey, this is the original bass player. It was uh, this is Joe?" I was like, this, "I was like, really? I didn't even heard about you." And I, then, uh, then randomly saw Internaut maybe a month two or a month or two later, and was like, "Holy fuck, this guy! Thank God, this guy didn't want to take this <laughs> fucking murder me." You know what though? I remember. I actually remember meeting you in Santa Cruz, like okay. at Siskin's house. Yeah, um, yeah. But, um. Was that the Thunderdome? Thunder 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 that must have been 2004. It was, like right? up in, it was like up in the fucking forest. You had to drive up up a good hill to get there. And there was like a bunch of dudes. It was like a two-story house with a bunch of dudes living in it. Hmm. <clears throat> I can't remember. Like it could have been like Bonnie Dune or I don't know. Well, David lived down near um, the boardwalk. That was the, that house, the Thunderdome. Yeah, that's not, that's not what I'm thinking yeah. of. The only dude I knew who uh, lived up there would be the brain drill guy, but probably not that. So no, no, this is way that was way after. Oh, and then yeah. another Santa Cruz metal story that I have, and there's so few, right? <laughs> is that I was when I was a senior, I was living in um, fucking Davenport. Mm -hmm. I remember taking you home one time out there. I think out to Davenport. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. And so I was living out there and I would see this pickup truck parked right there <laughs> on the one street with all the fucking station stickers and everything. Yeah. yeah. And there were so few metalheads in Santa Cruz that yeah, I immediately that. was like, I must yeah. find out who the owner of this fucking truck is, you know? It was Santa Claus. And then the first time that I saw blonde dread Santa Claus fucking unlocking his truck. I was like, hey, bro, sorry. I don't mean to just like walk up on you like that, but I've been seeing your truck parked here all year and I'm super into death metal and I've been waiting to catch you because I just wanted to know if you want to come upstairs and smoke a bunch of weed with me and my girlfriend. And he was like, fuck yeah, you know? So he came up and bro down and I learned about like, 
his dog's boy and girl, boy and, girl. Yeah. and how he lived on the beaches to surf every day yeah. and would only go work when he needed to work, but absolutely just elected to sleep on the beaches near Davenport every night. And I was like, wow, you're a sick dude. You are really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah dude. Wow. What a trip. Yeah, he's, he's, he's always yeah he's Bill got that legend. Birth, by the way. Everybody, yeah, we're talking about Bill, and nobody we, we never <laughs> mentioned his name because we're just like, yeah, dude, we know what you're talking about. It's dude. Just this guy named Bill. And so, Albert name Albert Einstein. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that was the tour that you were thinking of, Joel, where where you remembered meeting me was that there was at least one tour that I feel like Decrepit was on, and maybe Odious Two, where we were on the same routing as you guys. Okay. Like, that could have, yeah. What, what there was there was a tour with with suffocation and like maybe like the faceless too. Were you on? The, is that ringing yeah. a bell? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know yeah. this will this will this will clinch it for sure. There we played the same day in Albuquerque. Oh, we were, I remember that. I remember that. You were I watched, at the I watched pad, yep. and you guys were at the like Sunshine Theater, just like a couple doors down. Yep. And that day was like all weird and shit had gotten all eggy because like Mike Smith fucking squared <laughs> off with Mike Keene or something. Like, oh, oh yeah, shit. yeah. Oh, no, that, that that happened a few times, but yeah, that was <laughs> there was a bad one in Vegas, but that was uh, leading up and to that. Uh, I also just have to say I just used the most Santa Cruz slang word ever right now, like it was nothing. Did you guys hear me say? We, it, it's eggy. It just went it just went in one ear and out the other because we're so. I was like, yeah, eggy, eggy. If you if you say yeah. that outside of Santa Cruz, people will look at you like you're fucking retarded. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hella. Saying hella, yeah. People look at me weird if I yeah. go out of a certain range of the. You guys were on yeah. tour with a uh, clutch, right? No, clutch. Or, no, not clutch. Uh, uh, helmet, helmet. Yes. yes. Helmet, helmet. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, I watched you guys' this whole setup. We, I, we played, and I ran over. It was like, yeah, like a yeah. Over, and I would just watch you guys play. It was rad. That was that tour, right? With helmet, exactly. Yeah. God, what a trip! I love when those those uh those tour packages kind of meet up, and you get to kind of like all you know, like live in your night and talk about your hell slash how good or bad things are going or yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> that was pretty fun <laughs> and we were like fortunate enough to kind of like be on different schedules like we could actually see each other's bands you know totally totally yeah. what a trip man what a trip so uh going back to to intronaut so i mean are you so what's the plan like when things open up what's are you guys do you guys have tour plans or What's the what's the plan post COVID? Good question. So we had written and released our first full length in quite some time in February of 2020, which is absolutely the driest time that you can release a full length in all of human history. We got the vinyl here. <laughs> Ours was with January. Yeah, uh, Jan oh perfect. Perfect. So you know. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And did you guys have like all these fun things actually booked and stuff like they no. were real? No. No. But there was possibilities that you know definitely. We're were all pretty booked resolved. in personal life, personal lives yeah. from the book. So, I mean, we had like Mexico, India, UK, full Europe with Enslaved. Like we had a bunch of shit yeah. all lined up, and it all just got canceled. But. um you know, this obviously this year's been a weird 
psychological mess for everyone as we've all been trying to figure out what is the best way to use this weird time that we have. Mm-hmm. And aside from a bunch of other personal pursuits that I've been using this time for, we in Intronaut just decided that we would write another album anyways. We're like, fuck okay. it. We're all got our like home recording setups with logic and everything all dialed in. We all are just used to fucking shooting files back and forth and and adding tracks and stuff. So we're like six songs deep into a whole new album. I'm like okay. four I'm like four songs deep on finished bass parts. But we just figured like we took a bunch of time off before dropping that one and now we're ready to go. So instead of just like sitting around all year with our thumbs up our ass and waiting for shit to open and then being like hey guys remember that album that we dropped like you know <laughs> like two for one motherfuckers by the time we tour again there'll be two full lengths it's a oh, it's yeah. a similar situation awesome. with us dude like we yeah what are you gonna we, do we took definitely more so the other guys than me but Casey. took that time yeah definitely casey dude fucking props to casey dude casey yeah got, casey threw some shit together i mean not threw it together not but threw just it composed together. No, he fucking grinded on this shit dude and yeah and we definitely have an, a, an album ready too it's awesome it, i mean even though like we don't want to devalue the albums that we released right before the pandemic like it kind of goes it's counterintuitive because you're like Bro, that was a whole album. We should tour on that alone. But the cookie crumbles in the fashion it does. And here we are. And if we want people to come to the shows when the concerts come back, yeah, they probably would come for our 2020 albums. They, they probably would. But let's just make sure that they don't just fucking come. They come correct, like fucking mm-hmm. swinging from the rafters, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. I, I love hearing that shit because it's like there's there's I mean, I, I I don't know for certain, but I guarantee there are bands out there that didn't take advantage of the time, you know, and and there they, they could, you know, it could fuck them or they can, you know, eventually pick up and keep moving. But it's just like that taking that time as a creative person and actually using it to your advantage that that really is something that i i i'm excited for all those projects to start leaking out and coming out and seeing what people were doing during this weird time and actually with the weird time seeing how much it may have influenced their writing too you know we might see some different turns from bands that we do know just because of emotional shit that was going on you know it could go either way too like you could maybe have someone being depressed in some way that that prevents them from being creative but then Mm -hmm. you probably find a lot more people who dealt with whatever feelings the pandemic gave them and then they were like okay well i'm home alone all weekend so i guess i'm gonna fucking write some shit you know so can you talk about Joe, I love the little three song EP that you released. Can you tell us a little more about that? Because oh, fuck yeah, I'm I'm super pleased to know that you heard that. Because you know, I really just did that to do it. Like part part of what it is, and like I hope this isn't sort of like a sacrilegious thing to say on a metal podcast, but. <laughs> 
just speaking for myself personally, that I spent so much of my life being so steeped in the most extreme of metal. And that if you had told 20 year old me, if you had said, Hey, someday from now, you're going to like, not be that into like metal. I would be like, no, I will fucking be brutal till I die. (laughs) You know, like that's what I, I thought, you know, but over, over the years, I've just found myself to be like more picky and less interested in new metal and rock. And that's totally not this. I'm just speaking about my own private listening time. It's not to devalue it for anyone who's getting all the pleasure out of it that I used to get out of all the death metal when I was at that age, you know, but just over years, I I really have found that so many bands like will sound exactly like some band that I already love, but just like a hair faster or tuned a hair lower or something. And it just kind of stopped attracting me. So there are definitely like contemporary like metal bands that I get excited about, but they're very far and few between. Like Casey and I were literally having this conversation yesterday or the day before. And I was telling him the same thing. Your, your words that you just said are basically the same shit that I just said. And, and I also am like, wanting to be able to express that in a way where I don't sound like I'm being an asshole because I really, I, it's not that, that I did. I, I just naturally kind of only, yeah. Picky is a great word. I, two albums from 2020 rocked my fucking, you know, world. And, and that's just what it was. Everything else that I came across, it didn't really rock my world two there's two albums and that's it you know well, it's kind of like i mean my top spotify 100 last year um there was not one death metal band on it right um and but the thing is what, what's been cool about this podcast and just starting to talk about old times and stuff is that i do venture out and listen to a lot of death metal that i normally wouldn't um get into but because we're we're, we're kind of bringing back so much like history and and so many things that you know i grew up with with you know this whole scene and starting you know touring and all that stuff is that and bringing these bands on then i'm like okay well they're coming on the podcast so i'm gonna listen to them this is fucking good this, i like this <laughs> but it's like but it's one of those it's definitely a thing where you know it's i wouldn't go seek it normally though i wouldn't um i don't have that um childhood uh like um i don't know what to call it but just i'm just, just drive not, how drive, drive to go we had yeah. to go digging digging in yeah. crates and finding but, all the shit but totally. do you but do you crate do you like digitally crate dig for other kinds of music oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. thing so it's not like i never stopped digging right i never it's stopped like you lost your your curiosity it's more just like the exact same blast beats that totally held me down for 15 years that's just not what I, I am actively looking for in my the stuff that's exactly. excited me and is finding all the uh the stuff that I missed from the 90s there's there's so those, are, those are the best ones not the Dude, new there's ones. gems that I've recently come across and I'm like how the fuck did I not like solstice never like within the last year and a half or something I yeah, I've known sick. about solstice yeah. and and I always saw that logo and always just sh- 
you know, brushed it off as some random fucking generic thrash band or something. And then I listened to it and, and it's a super fucking group from Florida and you're, just, and they're playing all the styles from those members are incorporated into that project perfectly. And they're putting out a new album, aren't they this year? I think, yeah, you, you sent me a link. Yeah, with it. I saw they're, it on they're fucking getting active again too, which is mm -hmm. super cool, dude. But yeah. yeah, those things are the things that excite me. You know, it's like, I, yeah, I, I don't really know what it is. Casey, I, what, again, what, was it one of the members of that band and like, was it Cannibal or what What was the guy? Malevolent. Malevolent? Um, now, now I'm on the spot. I can't, I can't remember, yeah. <laughs> but anyways. It's, so, there's, yeah, I'm so. still new to them, dude. Come on. Yeah. Give me some credit. <laughs> Definitely getting more like dad vibes with my my jams. It's more progressive yeah. rock, progressive. Well, we're metal. getting older, guys. You know. I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah. and, and I, I like a lot. Yeah. I like a lot of pop music. I like a lot. You know, I go all over the place for just something that, like, I'm not worried about um, my metal cred anymore. It used to be yeah. like, I you know, like what you were saying. I don't want to stand behind uh, Sublime. Um, it's it's like there's bands that I listen to now. Then I'm like, I'm not going to stand behind it, but I fucking like it a lot. Like it's, right. it's like yeah. you know, I'm not going to tell anyone I really listen to it a lot, but uh, <laughs> just don't check check my uh, Spotify top 100 next year. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's anything that just gets me, you know, gets a, an emotional reaction from me. To me, I'm not even embarrassed by anything that I like anymore. If people fucking, if it gives me well, a fucking, you know, especially it, not now, now, yeah, I, not I'm now. Like, it's like who gives a I shit? I listen to the worst <laughs> trap rap. Like I love trap. <laughs> And all my friends hate the it. mumble I'm shit. My car really? listening to the baby and shit. Like not I don't even know that is, dude. dude <laughs> um, like you really like the mumble rap shit, bro? See, look, he's all. I don't care. I will. Now, so I don't care what you oh, like, but uh, you really like that. I, like maybe half of those artists I don't like. So it's not like I like them all. I like the beats. Are terrible, but yeah, the beats are the primary. The beats, the beats are and the, the production are really what where the, what the attraction. Production. Is. I shouldn't say production the shit. really the beats attracts are me. What? Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. I'll definitely yeah. listen to it for the beats, but when I can't, because uh, I'm also I'm also from an era where it was all about having dope rhymes and being the illest MC, you know, and and the way that they're rapping now, it just doesn't. It, well, as as a current rap fan, I'll say that there definitely are the true mumblers, the true mumblers. But yeah. mumble rap is definitely an oversimplification of a mm -hmm. diverse genre. Mm -hmm. um, but like jo Joseph was asking me about the Hot Pocket EP, which was this three song EP that I released in the just now in the pandemic. It's like my solo thing. Mm -hmm. And I really just did it for shits and giggles. Like I have no intention of like necessarily doing anything professional with it but i just found myself being all fucking cooped up at home in the pandemic and having like creative energy to let out and having like a newly dialed in like home recording and midi setup that i've been putting energy into and stuff and like the music that has been influencing me the most like this is how we got into talking about our personal playlists and how it's not metal so much anymore but for me there's like this perfect place in between like classic hip-hop jazz and like funk like neo soul you know there's just this perfect bermuda's triangle of artists that fucking kill me like going nice all the way 
Yeah, when I saw the inspirations, Hiatus Coyote, Flying Lotus, Thundercat, I was like, yeah. is Joe Lester oh, playing yeah. Neo Soul? I have to check this out. It was immediately like into my heart. Like this Dude, is gonna Thundercat hit, drunk. Yeah. I, I've I've been yeah. fucking beating the fuck out of that album for and a Hiatus long Coyote time. Blew, dude. I loved Hiatus Coyote. I listened to nothing but Choose Your Weapon for like two years. I think they are one of the most interesting bands, like from the drummer's rhythm oh, to yeah. Nye Palm's like hypnotic voice or her guitar playing is fantastic. Like oh, yeah. they are so good. I saw them live for the first time in 2019 and I was fucking floored, like yeah. just staggered. Flying Lotus is my single favorite artist right now. No shit. Yeah, I, love dude. Fly. Yeah. I was in a fly low today on the oh. way to Joel's house. Yep. Nobody blurs the line between like organic live instruments and processed digital sound like him. He literally has the world's best jazz musicians, drummers, fucking violin players, saxophone, bass, uh, Thundercats brother, Ron Bruner Jr. is like the top session drummer for all hip hop shit is like mm-hmm. all over that stuff. Um, I actually went to high school with this dude, Miguel Atwood Ferguson, who plays. Oh, yeah, of course. You know him? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's killing it, dude. He's yeah. like killing the game. Hell yeah, dude. He's the whole brain feeder scene. Like, yeah, my brother went to UCLA, so I got to connect with some of the scene around him. Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of like that brain feeder scene is kind of like the current music scene that I am the most inspired by and that's sort of what hot pocket was like about you know so joe i probably this is out of reach but i have a studio in long beach if you're ever down to jam some neo soul shit i need to get into that jump style a little bit that would be so fucking cool man i'm fucking down long beach is not too far from here at all hell yeah dude that just made my fucking week right now so maybe my month have you uh (laughs) joe have you caught thundercats tiny desk concert it's Oh Christ, yes, of dude! Oh in, my God, he's playing here in about a month. Amazing! I'm a huge fan. I think I've seen him like maybe six times now or something. I saw him open for P Funk. I've seen him headline a few times, but there was um when I was on the Secret Chiefs tour, we were playing a venue. I forget which one, but on the main drag in um, Lawrence, Kansas. You know where all the venues are. Mm-hmm. And it was before the show and I was taking a shit and I was looking at Facebook and I saw a post from Miguel Atwood Ferguson and he was saying, another beautiful day on tour. We're here in Lawrence, Kansas today. And I was like, holy shit, I haven't seen him in over 10 years, but he's literally on this street right now at one of these venues here. So I sent him a message. I was like, dude, I'm right down the street. I'm playing with this band, Secret Chiefs. Like, we got to fucking catch up, you know? But then I was like, oh, wait, who is he touring with? I don't know who he's touring with. So I went to look at his page. Thundercat. He was in Thundercat's Uh... band. They augmented the trio into a quartet for Miguel. Mm. He was on the whole tour. So I took the keyboard play and Schimmel. I took Schimmel and... Mm. um, and the keyboard player from the Chiefs, and we all went over there and and caught the uh, like the second half of the Thundercat show and and dude, I can you talk. can I mean there's so many different influences with that dude, but like I can taste 
Zappa, I can taste some bungle in there, but like the, you know, also like the nineties R and B fucking nineties hip hop and, and the P funk and it's all in there, dude. And it's all like very tastefully done. Dude, his, the, it's like shocking how good his singing is. Like if he didn't play bass and his lyrics too, dude. Yeah. All, hilarious all, like if he was just a vocalist i would still be a big fan but the fact that he is like a stanley clark level bass sicko on top of it all you know too yep. too fucking good just too good yep that's like a once a week jam for me yeah we still. love we love thundercat for sure you know what Fuck you, this is so funny i gotta i should send this to you guys so you can like put it up with the fucking when you air the episode but let's do it I um, started learning Photoshop like a year or two ago, and I had a side gig doing like visual media that turned into a full-time gig during from home during the pandemic. But when I was kind of teaching myself Photoshop, I was participating in a meme group on Facebook called uh, Album Covers with the Wrong Band Name on them, where we do like mashups of classic oh, yeah. album covers and things, you know? Oh, I I know that group. Yeah. You know the group? Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm an active member, but like for a long time, the, the one joke that everyone was doing was the altars of madness circle. Yeah. Like, oh in, yeah. No. Remember yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Nickelback one. I just saw the Nickelback one yesterday. <laughs> I, I did. A, I did a bunch of them. I did like the, the Herbie Hancock headhunters album where He's sitting at the piano, but his head is like this giant yellow circle. You did that in the altars one. Yeah, sure. I made it yellow. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. But then, you know, the altars circle got all played out. So I was like suggesting, I was like, I think we can all agree that the skull on the cover of Seasons in the Abyss is the shittiest skull (laughs) in all of metal artwork. It's like so not intimidating. (laughs) <laughs> it looks like my nine-year-old it's like inviting dude. it's yeah it looks inviting so i was suggesting that people were complaining saying we need a new meme to be the meme and i said why don't we start substituting all the brutal metal skulls with that gump ass skull? <laughs> and, and, it, and it totally caught on. There was like a couple weeks where everyone was just doing like seasons in the abyss, everything, you know, but my bet. Oh yeah. <laughs> dude, dude, dude. I wasn't joking, dude. That looks like my fucking nine-year-old Shut did it for up, a dude. fucking school project, dude. <laughs> on Halloween. One of my like best composites to date was that I replaced Thundercat's half submerged face coming out of the water yep. with the sea. Oh, dude, metal. I gotta see that, dude. It's, it's even like swimming in the reflection on the surface. Oh sur- my sur- god, sur- I gotta see stuff. that, dude. Another uh, one I did too that I was pretty proud of was the uh, the cover of To Pimp a Butterfly with like mm-hmm. all those dudes in front of the White House all like flashing <laughs> like wads of cash and stuff. But I replaced each and every one of their faces with the skull. There's like tiny, <laughs> 20 of them, right? Tiny little, tiny little fucking seasons in the abyss skulls. Oh my God. <laughs> I need to, so is this great, a group dude. that you can join on Facebook? Yeah, yeah, look it up. What's it called? It's, uh, it's called album album covers with the wrong band name on it. I'm gonna double check right now to make sure, but. 
Everyone listening, go follow this shit. This sounds fucking hilarious. The most important oh, yeah. plug of the episode right here. <laughs> if you like metal album covers and memes, this is the place for you. Yeah. Albums with the wrong band name on them. Boom. Wrong. Okay. Fuck yeah. So, so you've been doing like visual uh, illustration stuff. You have like a website where you like have some of that stuff on display, right? I actually do have a website with my illustration on it. Um, it's pretty outdated. It's actually all from when I was a kid, but I do have a knack for illustration. Since I got into doing Photoshop stuff as an adult, it's really not so artistic. I'm doing just like visual media stuff for like a marketing company, you know? So it's not as uh artistically satisfying but it, it so i done you know you say from when you were a kid so was art your first jam before music yeah in fact i was like a hundred percent committed to being a visual artist like as my you know just my creative presence um and <clears throat> i was sort of following that path and in high school, I was sort of like a pre-art major, but I was getting into playing jazz too. And as like art kids started becoming the art kids, I started seeing more and more of people being like, having some shitty painting that's not good, but then having this big explanation, well, this is about the suffering of humanity and it tells the story, blah, 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 blah. And I just started to realize that it was just a big jerk off. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah, really into, yeah, like I'm, it's like, and, and I was comparing that to jazz because that was the art that I was getting into. And in jazz, if you're no good, everyone can hear it and you must oh, yeah. go home immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> like there's no, like, you can't explain to me why your bad saxophone playing is actually quite good. <laughs> That won't work, you know? So I really felt myself turned off by how kind of like conceptually jerk offy the art world was. And I was like, I'm gonna do music, man. This shit is like, the proof is in the pudding here, mm -hmm. you know? Actually, the, I went to the, the uh, was the art museum of San Francisco or something. I forget what, which one it was, but my dad took me, was randomly visiting. And uh, there was one piece there that was just a blank canvas. And it was all this and it was like for fucking like nine thousand dollars or something it's all it represents the nothingness within our souls and blah and i was like i i literally i told my dad i'm leaving i, like, I walked out i walked out exactly, i was i was like was that's 18. exactly the kind of shit that made me quit visual art yeah. like i'm not fucking with this anymore you know fuck this like okay cool you bought a canvas and now it now it's ten thousand dollars because hey, a guy's a guy a guy touched it like, let me let me ask you guys this am i Am I authorized to, to do a quick screen share with you guys right now? You're authorized, dude. All right. I'm going to show you something real quick. As long as it's not like owned by a big. It's label. yeah, it's got all kinds of copyright. Infringement, bro. <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> I made this, bro. Damn. What the fuck? So you're behind a lot of this shit. This is awesome. The sugar right there. <laughs> dude, come on. Let's see some more. Come on. Oh yeah. What do you think about that? Okay, yeah. here's that one I was telling you about. Oh, the, uh, Alters of Madness. Nice. Alters of Madness in there. Yeah, nice That's nice so color, dope. uh color fix oh, or what, whatever. Yeah. What do you think about this right here? 
Oh my god, dude. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. Dude, have you seen his new video? Yeah, dude. It's, a, love- it's actually fucking awesome, dude. It's great. I love dude. I've never seen so many jet jimmies rustled in one fell swing. That's <laughs> why I love it so much, yeah, dude. Yeah. He I ruffled love, some love serious feathers in that bitch. Oh man, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> A butthole surfers. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice dude. Oh, dude. So pitted. Oh, yeah. Fucking pitted, dude. Fucking so pitted. Okay. That dude was. Fine. Was that dude? That dude must have been pranking. Dude, the King Crimson one yeah. with the fucking skull. Oh wait. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. Where's What's that? the sublime one, oh, dude? I just thought. Damn. I saw. Oh, sub- yeah. Where is the sublime one? Oh, there's where? a focus the up t- up top. Keep going up. Oh yeah. Right Bridges the bosom. <laughs> oh yeah here's the here's the king crimson yes, dude. Yes, that's yes. actually a way dope but that's actually yeah. way sick dude and this was when we started putting the uh the skull in everything like for the listeners our- you gotta go on to youtube and check this shit out dude it's amazing alter sphere oh, nice nice oh shit i didn't even see that but wait, here's here's my real. Here it is. Here's my smart. Oh my god. There it is. <laughs> oh man, that's fucking great. The reflection and shit too. Damn. Thank you. Thank you. And this actually here here's another one that I liked. <laughs> Swanson. Swanson. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> Okay, just be, just for shits and giggles, I saw there's a focus cover in there too. I want to see what that one was. Where? Down a, to the right. A focus shirt right now. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't. I don't think I did this one. Oh shit! Somebody else here. But yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a mashup. Veil of low effort. Veil of madness, dude. Yeah. It's a tribute one. I guess these aren't <laughs> these all. These are fucking great. The offspring dude. one. Oh, yeah, it's, it's the a- offspring <laughs> one's perfect. Yeah, that's like that was kind of a weird skull to be the the Smash logo or Smash album. Oh, check this one out. Somebody was saying that we needed to do more like vapor wave aesthetic edits. Uh-huh. Wow. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Jesus. Totally Christ. 80s, dude. Right? 80s fucking Holy like Tron, Tron graphics. Yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. Norman Angel was a butt rock band, dude. That's been, you know, a source of entertainment for me during this during this pandemic. Oh, See, what about it's all creative though? Here's too. here's a real dumb pun right here. <laughs> <laughs> The the Hawaiian shirt. I'm hungry. Uh, I'm chaos dad. It's the Chaos AD <laughs> album art, but the guy in the I can't even explain it, dude. <laughs> dude, it's that's what I'm saying. The new balances. New balances. Just listening. Go on to our YouTube and watch this episode so you can see what we're seeing. Yeah. Chaos DAD. He's got his New Balances on. <laughs> new balances. Fucking. He's grilling in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Yeah, that's oh, fucking great. Man. What's the Mike Pence one? The Mike Pence one? Oh, it's Where? not yours. Where? Foo Fighters. It's Mike a Foo Pence. Fighters one. Oh, I oh, it's, oh, it's about the the fly. Learn to, Learn fly. to fly. You're you're killing it in this in this group for sure. The Burzum one, I think, is my favorite. You, you know what? I, I actually stole that one. That one's not OC. I just liked it and shared it. I wish oh, I. Had. Yeah. That's such. It looks like the exact exact same it's font. The, <laughs> yeah, it's the exact logo. <laughs> oh man, that's, so funny. Dude, that's gonna be my background. My phone. 
I do love to philosophy. I do love that. <laughs> Forty ounces to philosophy. Yeah, that was the caption, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah it was. Good. Yeah, so uh, good. Holy fuck. shit. Yeah, good times. So yeah. I see that. I love. I love seeing that. You some. You took a weird time and you find you know happiness and fun in it. Comedy. Yeah, comedy's huge right now. Exactly. Comedy is definitely huge. It's it's probably one of the only things that can get us through such a bleak period, you know? Like it, it it's funny because making a meme benefits no one. Like it's the most pointless activity, and yet it gives me so much joy. And like yeah. it gives other people joy. So it actually is meaningful, you know. I just saw it as a way to like practice my fucking Photoshop masking and blending and shit. But like, totally. it's, it really is fun. I think comedy is the, the, the basic, like the way to solve any major social problem ever. It's just, we got to laugh. Get, that's like the best emotion to like bring people together. Like laughing, you know. And I think memes are a great way because one, everybody's fucking online now, and two, it's it's like it's a punchline without even having to say words. You know, you totally. find the perfect uh, elements of your joke, and if you implement them into the meme properly, your joke is said through one picture. Yeah, and it like creates a relatability that we never had before. We're literally like people in Thailand and people in Sweden and people in California can all see the same joke the same day. Yeah, exactly. Like, yep. what, what? I can see like what, something what that's kind of brutal. My, my send it to my dad. My dad will be like, LOL back. You know, it's like, like my dad will laugh at like <laughs> raunchy ass shit with me. And I'm like, Hey, check this out, dad. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's perfect, man. That's awesome. It's a great outlet, man. I'm a, I'm a meme hog. I'm a, I, I just, I just collect them. I'm just a collector, but uh, like, <laughs> I wish they were like cards or something. Yeah. Yeah. You, about you collect them and then you just like divvy them out uh, strategically. Yeah. What about like <laughs> the, the eternal struggle that when you see a situation that you have the perfect meme for, but now you have to go like searching for <laughs> yes. thousands oh, of pages. Yeah. You're like, Oh, I think it was last november maybe like maybe i'll go in string sh i'll go in screenshots and maybe oh, i'll find it in there but it's just so perfect for this situation i gotta find it you know oh god i know <laughs> they line up perfectly sometimes it's insane <laughs> fuck well so, shit, guys should we keep yeah, this man. uh we got a little, i mean uh, i was gonna say we're are we ready to wrap this up are we ready to keep going either I way got, guys i got one more topic that i think that we should talk yes. about before Let's we before we put this to bed because <clears throat> uh, we were, I was talking to somebody earlier about the, the subject of tour pranks. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's something that we, that we feel pretty strongly about, you know, we think that tour pranks should be, they should actually be funny. They should be like clever or original or something like, yeah. don't just run up on stage during a song and do something stupid on the stage like yeah unless you've got something fresh prepared that's that's not the jam and it also should be like good natured too I, i'm not really like about the bad natured pranks you know i remember getting a couple of those over the years like garlic powder in our drinks that we just used our last mm. drink ticket on or 
some fucking rotten like uh, protein shake bottle hidden in our van somewhere. It's like that's not that's not cute, you know. But a couple of my a couple of my favorites from over the years. I'm just going to run down a couple of my top pranks here. We toured with Deaf Heaven, and those guys are spooky, right? Like we actually broed down with them so hard, like. I didn't know how long I didn't really like know them or how we were going to get along with them or anything. And right from like the first day of tour, they were like throwing dice, smoking blunts and listening to young thug. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, shit, what up? Like, you know? but they've got a whole spooky vibe. So on the last night of the tour, we stopped at Walmart. We bought sheets and chains and we drew ghost mouths and cut eyes and we came out on stage like rattling the chains to like haunt them during their set you know on that same tour we pranked and this time we actually pranked up we pranked the headliner um but it was between the buried and me and we replaced blake's drumsticks with freshly baked churros we like like sourced out a fucking churro spot on the way into town and we had a whole stick bag full of churros that we swapped (laughs) his stick bag with and left two churros on the snare drum and then right when they came out he sat down and we had like a camera and he did like a fill with the churros and took a bite and we all had a laugh and we're like okay here's your sticks and that was it you know But we also actually switched Tommy's microphone with a fleshlight butthole. (laughs) And I don't think he thought it was funny. (laughs) 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 And then um, another good one was this was this was the year that Harambe happened. Remember what, what you know, just larger than life meme that was? Yeah. So we were doing a headlining tour with um, these dudes, Moontooth and uh, Entheos, actually. The oh, home. Yeah. Nice. Shout out to Bean and Chaney. Shout out. Shout out. And um, we were playing the last show, and it was in, like, SoCal. And um, we knew that we wanted to prank Moontooth. Those guys are real good-natured dudes. We just felt like they really needed a, a, a good prank, you know? And so... Dave knew that Justin Chancellor owned a gorilla suit and like not some shitty one either, but like a good one. It had it has like a fan in the head to like keep you cool while you're wearing it. So we asked him if he would come early and bring the gorilla suit and he did. And we stopped and bought like poster board and we drew up these like protest signs about Harambe. And Moontooth, they have this part in their set, like at the end of their set, where they they finish the last song, but there's kind of like this little break where like the singer gives this little like intense speech about the animals, they can hear you coming. And then they like hit their little outro and that's the end of the show. So right when he gets to his little break and starts talking about the animals, Gorilla and all four of us with signs mob out on the stage with like signs that say like, good night, sweet prince, or Bush did Harambe, or, you know, just like a bunch of different signs and stuff. That's on, that one's on YouTube, actually. You can find the prank on YouTube. Oh, yeah. And then this is my last prank. This is what I'm going to leave you guys with today. 
I do kind of think it was our best one ever. And it's also on YouTube. It's totally on YouTube. But we were touring with our boys, Scale the Summit. I don't know if you know those dudes. Good oh, yeah. dudes. Sick band. Fucking shredders. Yeah, um, and we've actually toured with them more than any other band, I think. Like four I've tours. Seen, I've, I've seen you with them. Yeah, like many times. Those, those are our dudes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, compared to a lot of metal bands, they have sort of like a gentle presence. You know, they're not like tattooed tough guys they're they're fucking musicians you know so we had basically cooked up a prank we found this audio of phil anselmo doing a show with super joint ritual some festival where he's like tanked he's like on one and he's just talking between the songs about all this bullshit right well somebody uploaded they recorded it and they edited the songs out so it's just phil just fucking a super cut of in between the songs 13 minutes that's oh. how much of his set is him just God like damn high and drunk as a skunk just you know saying all kinds of shit you know but we had been laughing about this recording forever we would just throw it on in the tour van and fucking laugh <laughs> but we came up with the idea to like drop it into a DAW and chop every sentence into its own short little track so that we could basically make like a Phil Anselmo soundboard. A little drop board, yeah. And then we we co-opted their front of house guy. We got him in on the prank. <laughs> and for the second to last so deep, it goes so deep. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna cut the talkback mics. They don't even use them until the exact same spot in the set. Like in between the third and the fourth song is when they go to the mic and they're like, hey, we're Skilled Summit from Houston, Texas. They say their same thing, you know? So we got the sound guy in on it. And right when that moment comes and he goes up to the mic and he leans down to say, hi, we're Skilled Summit from Houston, Texas. And instead it's like, I want to see this whole fucking place. Let's go. Like, you motherfuckers ain't got a pair of balls between the two of you. Somebody get me a goddamn morphine milkshake. Let's go. And every time he leaned over to the mic we just had another bro we had like 30. we did it twice we did it later in the set he tried again (laughs) what he did did he just say after after a while he just gave up and just said yep i guess phil's giving giving the intro to the next song well like we we like filled over him like five times in a row and then we let him say what he was going to say right at the end there you go we, we brought so the- you're waiting for him to go up oh, okay i got time and then he goes to the mic again and you're like nope here's another Just one rel- <laughs> relentless dude and and um we did it twice during their set but only one of them is caught on the video but if you if you youtube um scale the summit at slims that's okay. where it was Fuck yeah. You'll, you'll I see, want to see right, that shit for sure. If you Google that video, Scale the Summit at Slims, the video is like about 10 minutes long because it's two songs, but the prank is right in the middle. Okay. Yeah. I, we never went that big on pranks, dude. I mean, <laughs> the the prank, I, I I remember one prank was to um, the my bass player in uh, Severed Savior. We did a tour in 2013 or 12. And, uh, we would hit Denny's all the fucking time, dude. And he got tired of seeing the happy little kid on the fucking menu. <laughs> oh, look at that smile. The switcheroo. <laughs> the old switcheroo, dude. <laughs> and the tour prank. 
<laughs> that was the end of tour prank right there. That was awesome. Dude, oh man. Yeah, it's not as cool. I was just gonna say we we stole I told everybody on the package to steal the menus whenever they went to a Denny's and we would cut that face out and we would paste it on random things and put it on his base rig. We'd put it on the fucking kit. We put it places to where he'd be like halfway through the set and then he'd see it and he'd look at me like motherfucker. And then at the end of the tour, I literally took Denny's menus home with me and periodically would send them to his house, dude. <laughs> after the, the tour too the prank kept going for like weeks after the tour <laughs> the last podcast actually we had uh greg on they said that they were on tour with cephalic carnage and everyone this except is so funny came. seeing joseph in your chair dude <laughs> <laughs> but everyone basically like except lenzig the singer of cephalic was in on it so it was like the last half of a song at the very last song of the tour they immediately <laughs> swapped out all the members of cephalic with the members of a legion and just like went on there because they all learned the song right before the the set and just finished the set like and Lensing's going like what the fuck's going on it's like all (laughs) members of a different band behind them and they're just ending the set like oh that's awesome yeah i love those guys joseph you adding what number 13 to the pile Where you at, Joseph? You're muted. (laughs) I said that in the stairwell that you're muted. I know. Well, you know what, Joel? Um, (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know what I'm at, dude. Uh, There's just a few up here, dude. Edit that out, Casey. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. It's all good, dude. (laughs) No, I'm just having a lot of fun with Joe right now. Joe, you've been like the fucking greatest guest ever. Like, in the my favorite episode by far. By far. This has been like the most that I've socialized with people in so fucking long. I, I it's like really fun. I'm really I'm really having a blast with you guys. Well, we're honored to fucking be a part of that, dude, because we're definitely having the fun with you, dude. This is this is definitely taking the time out on a Thursday night. I got work tomorrow, and I don't give a fuck, you know. I'm glad. And I'm glad you guys let me show you my memes, dude. Oh, I love them, dude. Yeah. I love. We love it. We love it all, dude. We love everything about you. You're a fucking great dude. You're a great guest. You're fucking playing as one thing that I was going to say real quick to wrap it up is that whenever I listen to Intronaut, even even before like I knew really about the connections. I mean, I knew about the connections, but it never really like clicked with me when I'd listen to Intronaut. The bass would naturally be what would like guide me through every the rhythm section in general. But I I felt like you were holding my hand through all the intronaut songs that I was listening to. I'd, 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 my emotional attachment to the song would be based in your bass playing. And that's, I'm just being real. I'm not just saying that because you're a guest. I'm being real. I, I appreciate that a lot. And you know how you and I were connecting about like Jamaican music and reggae and stuff mm-hmm, here? Mm-hmm. Well, like, even, you know, when I was so young and it sounds like when you were so young too, you were responding to that. And one of the things in Jamaican music is how the bass is like more melodically propulsive than mm-hmm. anything else. It's almost like a melodic hook, you know, mm-hmm. that in Intronaut, like Sasha and Dave or Leon, like the guitarists have always sort of like cleared the lane a little bit for me you know, to like leave some room for me to fill it up because they know that I won't just like root around with them and stuff. And so 
no, I will never be a shredder. Like that's just not who I am, like shredding fucking fast notes. But when it comes to like having a baseline that has some kind of like musical intent that propels the song forward, that's that's more what I want. And like And that's exactly what I get, dude. You just you just nailed it. That's exactly what I get. You're 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 my shepherd in an intronaut song. You are. But I, I consider you a shredder, though, but in not in the normal context of what someone calls someone a shredder. It's something that's holding. It's the glue, but it's still like like what Anthony's saying. It's literally like I'm staring at you pretty much the whole time. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize to the rest of your band, but I'm staring at you because you're just like, right in the middle and you're holding it together you're just you're shredding it but it's the rhythm it's well, the rhythm section in general too like you and your drummer together or it's a Santa what Cruz i find myself you, mainly yeah being attached to when... and it is like not the most common in a heavy metal setting for the guitars to leave so much room for the rhythm section to like do complementary stuff against it against mm -hmm. them you know mm -hmm. we really totally. like that like join the guitars with the rhythm that they're feeling and then immediately contradict it on the next yep. repetition with something different, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Love it, dude. Fucking love it. Well, cool. Well, guys, maybe we should just fucking end this. We're, we're all two and a half or something close to two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Cool. Right in, right in the pocket. We are in the pocket. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Dude, thank you guys. The pleasure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and you please rock. come back if you want to come back. You're you got an open invitation, dude. We'd love to sit down with you again and pick that brain a little bit more because it's a fascinating one. Awesome. Thank you so much. Definitely, dude. Totally. Cheers, fellas. So, good talking, cool. man. Thanks, thanks for all the you. thanks all the subscribers. Um, numbers are growing. That's fucking awesome. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. Cali Death Podcast on both of those. We got CaliDeath.com. What's an email address uh, if anybody wants to hit us up with some calls or whatever? Cal, oh, it's CalDPodcast at gmail.com. C A L D at Gmail. C A L D Podcast at gmail.com. There we or go. Facebook, or just do Facebook. Yeah. Either way, all those, all those places you'll get to us somehow. But yeah, right on, guys. Uh, we got a dual podcast this week. We'll be coming back with another one on Sunday. Profanity from Germany. So fuck yeah, guys. We'll, we'll be uh, right back in your computer screen very, very soon. Um, or your ears on iTunes. Hit us up there as well. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see you guys on Sunday. Rock on.